When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Deep Share Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Rouse, and for the last couple of decades, I've slowly been opening my eyes to a very different world than the one I grew up hearing about. And the more conversations I have with interesting people, the more mystifying this world becomes. So without further ado, let's get deep. We've got science to celebrate demons this hell! Come on! There's rebellion in the wind. Everything I've said is true, it's real. Dinosaur blossoms? Don't like to put those here to test our faith. That damn lie, I, I saw them with my own eye! Did I accuse just drop sharply while I was away? We did it illusions, man. None of it is true. I'm not insane! This is mass madness, you maniac! In God's name, you people are the real thing. We are the illusion! And this is The Witness, and we're going to be talking E.T. encounters mostly tonight. But of course, that's going to branch off into some of our favorite topics like psychedelics and paranormal experiences. So I'd like to introduce my amazing group here today. I have Dave and Camden from Generation Z. How are you guys doing? Great. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. I am sorry. I'm distracted. I'm making sure audio is working because we might be streaming, but I mean, they can hear us. Oh, man. Well, that wouldn't be good. I know. (laughs) But we have author Lester Velez. Lester, how you doing, man? Good. Great to be here. Great to have you, man. Bruce, welcome back. Bruce Fenton's here. Thanks very much. Pleasure. Brandon from Expanding Reality. How's it going, dude? And every day above ground is a great day. Just happy to be here. Thank you for the invite, guys. I'm really looking forward to this. A fans all year. So thank you. This is cool. Oh, yeah. We have returning for the second part of The Witness, Chaz of the Dead. How's it going, man? It's going good. I'm so glad to be uh, back again and part of this uh, this series because it's, it's a cool one. And I'm ready to get weird. <laughs> yeah, that's what it's all about. We are exploring consciousness and the uh, weird synchronicities between all these different paths that the human brain, the human body, we all take to come to a lot of the same threads, the same place in this realm that we're in, I guess you could say. And I wanted to focus on alien encounters. And I actually think it's important to focus on these types of experiences that kind of 
transcend the physical plane in a lot of ways and go into that deeper rooted self. And um, we have a lot of experiences to talk about today, I think. And uh, Bruce, of course, I think a lot of your writing and your research goes back to your original experiences with this, with these kinds of topics. And I'd mm -hmm. love for you to kick us off with a little bit of your history. And, and cause we didn't get to the last round table we had, we didn't really get into any of your history on my podcast because you came in a little bit late that day and we just jumped into how bullshit the government disclosure was at the time. Yeah. But, uh, you know, let's get more into your story because that's what ties you into all of this. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I see as well that just quickly that the government have got, was it the sixth uh, official disclosure office going now, isn't it? The UFO. <laughs> they keep <laughs> rolling out these official UFO projects. Um, yeah. No, uh, my background, I got into ancient, so ancient mysteries, paranormal, all of those things when I was about 11 or 12. Um, very quickly, it was through a, a set of mystery cards, these collectible little cards, and each one had something like the pyramids, Loch Ness Monster. You know, it was it's just this wacky little book, and you stick these stickers in. And um, that really got me into it. It was just this idea. There were so many crazy things that people hadn't resolved. You know, it sort of spiraled from there. And um, as everyone knows here, once you start any of these mysteries, they interconnect. You know, you end up being dragged further and further down the rabbit hole. But I do remember, you know, instances of alien related type phenomena when I was quite young. Like I had a series of profoundly, you know, real seeming dreams, you know, of being on a table with beings around it. I mean, not classical greys, but, you know, very strange humanoid beings, uh, kind of repeating nightmare, which now in that context, you know, I could look back and say, yeah, you know, sort of like the alien abduction phenomena you know i can't say if i was physically taken by beings but um and then later on probably in my early teens i remember having a kind of i suppose what people call like a download like suddenly having some information that um that one day and it was really weird one day that i would be asking people if they wanted to go on a spaceship and that they wouldn't believe me and that i would go on this spaceship it was just this weird kind of like you know like knowing something, you know, I'm not going to say again, I can't tell you that's really going to happen, but that was another early experience I had. So there's definitely been connections with that. And then of course my work's spiraled on towards more deeply looking into aliens in the last decade. But yeah, so there was some definitely some early influences that have, you have nudged me towards uh, these, these topics. Mm -hmm. And it does feel like it's connected to a lot of uh, the paranormal that mm -hmm. I've heard from Chaz as well. And Chaz, you've run into a lot of these experiences and you've been trying to connect the ideas as well, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's definitely the, uh, I kind of got thrown into uh, UFO investigating, um, which I think happens uh, to quite a few people if you look at the history. Um, but I was mm -hmm. definitely investigating the paranormal more as, a, you know, kind of as a hobby um, and doing some kind of weird experiments, uh, looking for ghosts and that kind of, that kind of stuff. Um, but it was one of these weird experiments involving a Ouija board and some magic mushrooms that led to me seeing some UFOs. Um, and that kind of blew it open for me, the, the idea that the paranormal, um, you know, the, it's not just ghosts and Bigfoot and aliens. There's, there's something in between. There's a thread in between all three of these. Something's happening that's allowing these weird encounters to occur and that whatever facilitates them, it's the same you know, facilitator for, for all of these uh, weird encounters. 
And, um, you know, through my research, I've been investigating how uh, altering brain chemistry, to put it one way, uh, can lead to these kinds of encounters. Um, and it's, it's definitely, it's something that it, it gets weird um, because I think a lot of people, most people these days have kind of already gotten their minds around the idea of, you know, aliens from another planet. Uh, but when you start telling them that about trans-dimensional psychedelic, it, it sounds crazy. It's a crazy kind of thing to, to talk about. But the more you go into this research and the more interactions you have with it, the more this, this, these trends keep popping up. Yeah, man. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and Lester, your work also deals with um, people's experiences and uh, with the ET encounters, correct? And we're like, and connecting them to paranormal entities and stuff? Well, yeah, it, it, it's interesting when, when Bruce got kicked us off, he talked about uh, having an experience when he was 11 years old. And I had an experience uh, also at 11 years old when I saw this uh, object uh, hovering over a tree line silently and scared the crap out of me. And I ran in the house to try to get my father to come out. And uh, by the time he did come out, it was gone. And he said, well, it's just a beacon of light reflecting off a cloud. Well, I didn't buy that mm. and uh, decided to start reading books about UFOs. And uh, back in those days, uh, uh, those ancient days, George Adamski was the uh, big player uh, talking about the Venusians and all his trips to you know Venus and things of that nature. Well, I really got into it, but, uh, you know, as you grow up, you, you kind of fade away and, and girls become more interesting, you know, <laughs> instead of UFOs. And uh, anyway, uh, make a long story short, uh, you know, I went off to college and uh, uh, was in the military for a while. And uh, when I came out, um, I got a job and uh, was working for a while and then decided to move from Connecticut, uh, where I was born, uh, out to California in 1985. And I picked up the Mercury News and uh, Stanton Freeman was going to talk about uh, UFOs and the government cover-up. Well, all of a sudden, it was like somebody threw a switch and I said, oh, my God, I got to go see this guy. And uh, went to uh, San Jose City College and, the, and I expected to see just a handful of people and the place was packed. And uh, uh, so uh, I came out of there saying, oh, man, how do I get more involved? Well, MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, had a table out in the foyer and uh, they produce a, a monthly journal. And so I decided, well, I'm going to get the journal. Well, after a while, that wasn't enough for me. And uh, I decided to become a field investigator. They have a field investigator training course that they, they, they have. So I did that. And this is when it really got interesting because most of the cases, almost actually without exception, not only were sightings that these people were having, but they turned out to be abduction type cases. And uh, then these people were asking me, did I, did I know of other people that were having similar circumstances in their lives? And I said, yes, I do. And <laughs> next thing I'm doing, I'm facilitating a support group in San Jose. Um, and that's when things you know, got super interesting because the stories that these people told, you know, uh, were incredible. And, you know, back in those days, you know, my window of believability might have been about that big, but after a while, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger and, and to understand what was going on. And uh, so, you know, 
it's an incredible phenomenon. You know, these people do not have a psychopathology. They're very sane people. I mean, they have, they have good, most of them have really good jobs. They're policemen, they're doctors, they're lawyers, they're you know, firemen, you name it, uh, across the whole spectrum and across the, the whole world. This is happening. It's not just here in the United States. Uh, so yeah. anyway, getting involved with that uh, really opened up my, my uh, realm of believability as far as possible things. And so it, being part of MUFON at that time, you know, which was basically a nuts and bolts type organization, you know, they weren't concerned about the abduction phenomena. And uh, I went to the international director at the time was uh, James Carrion and suggested that, you know, you're missing, missing out on a lot of uh, information uh, by not helping or working with these abductees. And so the next thing we set up uh, was to have all all the calls coming in to MUFON regarding abductions came to me <laughs> out in out in San Jose, and uh, and that part of that was the fact that in 1994, based on a, on an event that happened with a woman uh, in Carmel, uh, I've, I founded the Opus, the organization for uh, uh, paranormal understanding and support and uh, uh, with a doctor friend of mine. And uh, our mission basically is to help people having paranormal experiences. And, and, and what we do is to, uh, we have a resource uh, of, of hypnotherapists, uh, medical people, mental health practitioners. And also uh, uh, we have an online support group, which this has proved to be the best thing uh, that we could have set up because these people can, you know, talk 24-7. It's totally confidential. You have to hit our, our website, uh, opusnetwork.org, and uh, there's a section for support, and you, you fill out this little form, real simple thing, and uh, it comes to me or one of the other uh, people that do the triage, and then, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we uh, find out what they want. A lot of times, they, they want to be put into the support group, uh, the online mm -hmm. support group, but they need to know they're 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 not alone, and right. uh, we we have people from all over the world, literally from Australia, South America, South Africa, even uh, uh, Iran. We got one from Iran, believe it or not. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so, anyway, uh, I don't want to take up more time, but oh, I got great. lots lots more stuff. To, <laughs> to oh talk yeah, about. Ab absolutely. Now, in this work, are you seeing? of like uh, specific threads or trends in the stories that are coming back, like very specific, uh, you know, is there an overwhelming case or is it very random and very unique? No, case by there, case? There, there seems to be a, a real pattern uh, hmm. with, with these abductions. Uh, you know, the, the grays seem to be uh, the uh, star performers. I was talking to a colleague of mine the other day about it, and he says, yeah, it's like all these different entities because you have reptoids, and then you have mantis-type people, and then you got the Nordics. They all seem to use these grays. It's almost like you go to a store like, and buy an iPhone. You can get yourself a gray. And so, yeah. so that's a, a, a big common factor. Um, and, so and, and, and so, yeah, then, you know, people, 
being brought on board a craft or even backing up, going through walls, you know, uh, through their house and uh, mm -hmm. up, it, up in a beam of light and then being put on a table, a metal table, and then various uh, procedures being done, you know, whether it's uh, taking semen or eggs or if it's uh, uh, taking blood, uh, uh, you know, and uh, it, it's, yeah, there's, there's, but even though there may be a lot of commonalities, each story is different from that perspective, from that person's perspective, you know, uh, what, what it means to them. Mr. Yeah. Velez, if I may ask very quickly, uh, the greys, um, is there a consistency amongst the description of them? Because there seem to be various multitudes of, I guess, if you want to call subspecies, some with much taller and thinner, some much shorter, some with wider heads, you know, going horizontally, some more vertical. Is there a consistency in the description that uh, at least the reports there you've... Yeah, there, there, there are many types of quote-unquote grays because they're not only gray, they're brown. They're, they can be blue. Right. Uh, uh, they can be, sh you know, the short grays. And then you have the tall grays, you know. But there, there, there's a relatively common, you know, like in Whitley Strieber's case, they were short blue with, the, you know, square heads, you know, and the squatty faces and everything. Right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, but again, looking at, most of the cases that we've dealt with, the typical gray, you know, that, that kind of pear-shaped uh, head with the slanty eyes, large black eyes, you know, too small nose, very small lips, uh, right. that type of thing, ear holes maybe. Uh, and uh, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's very, very common. That very seems common. to be like, maybe it's some kind of archetype that face that the slanted eyes and the right. small mouth some kind of ink blot that's etched into our minds at this point so much um i i'm loosely connecting this to like the fact that machine elves from the dmt experience seem to vary depending mm -hmm. on who sees them you know uh everybody describes it differently but um are you guys familiar with that experience well yeah um it's to me, it's kind of always played into a perception. Uh, pop culture has these grays all over the place in movies and things. And so kind of as you perceive or think they could look, they end up, you know what I mean? Like how you are wanting them to look, kind of a belief. That's exactly, so that, that's exactly what I was going to um, yeah. say is I think through my, my research, um, the abduction uh, experience in particular is yeah. probably the strongest uh, reason I think that something, you know, stranger than physical reality is occurring. I mean, I actually have a, a list of how the abduction phenomenon and the UFO phenomenon um, in general is mirrors psychedelic phenomenon. Yeah. Um, to see it <laughs> so it's uh it's in the book um <laughs> if anyone which is, plugs which is at right the here end. <laughs> yeah plug. plugs at the end but um <laughs> it's in there um but it's impossible physics one right these craft and when you're on these ships you know you you enter a small ship ship and it's much larger on the inside one of yeah. the most common things um again this happens a ton on psychedelics i mean the alice in wonderland effect i've felt that on mushrooms where you feel like you're shrinking and everything else is is getting bigger uh, missing time that's another one common yeah. in psychedelics you know i thought i was doing something for 20 minutes and it's been six hours and i was just <laughs> drawing a picture you know and 
uh, again, this missing time is is not just in uh, abduction scenarios. I mean, that's where we, we hear it most often, but in uh, demonic encounters, you know, poltergeist cases, Bigfoot cases, people seem to be losing hours mm -hmm. after interacting with these, these entities. Mm -hmm. um, personality changes. And this was the biggest one for me with the... Um, the abduction phenomenon, because you do have these two kind of schools of thought in abductees themselves. And there's this one group who thinks it's all love and light and mm -hmm. that they're, they're despite the, the violations and things, you know, the taking of, of biological materials that they're being enhanced, you know, they're, they're being elevated. Right. Um, and if you take uh, <laughs> some psychedelics, that's the feeling you get. Right. <laughs> you really, yeah. that's, that's how yeah. it feels. Ask anyone who's done DMT. They'll, they'll describe that feeling to you. And then on the flip side, you have some people who have been abducted who describe it as the most terrifying thing ever, which is also a group of people who, who can't handle psychedelics and also have the worst time imaginable on them, where these, these bad trips um, mm -hmm. often involve entities that do horrible things. Um, you know, from sexual things to, to physical things. Uh, and again, it's the, the same kind of duality reaction to, mm -hmm. to being abducted occurs. Um, you know, one of, one of the things that you, you hit on is, is the fact that uh, you have two, two groups, uh, the, yeah. the people that feel positive and the people that feel negative about this situation. Well, we've done a couple of studies, uh, the, the free organization did one, of course, a, hu a huge one. And then uh, we did one uh, back in 2007 called the Omega-3 study, uh, where we took 71 people that were experiencers and then 51 people that were a control group. And what, what you find is that, generally speaking, the initial phase of any abduction is, is scary as hell to all people. To, yeah. No matter who you are, it 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 really you know is is a shocking, stressful event. Then, depending upon how many more abductions occur, you find that as you go past ten abductions, all of a sudden the attitude starts to change. Mm. And and we found that like eighty percent of the people, eighty percent of the people, uh, in, after a while, find that yeah, it's a great thing, you know. Uh, and, and all the information that they're downloaded, uh, uh, you know, present some really positive things that you, hey, you need to be better to a fellow man. You need to be better to right. the planet. You got to, you, you know, so it's all, all positive uh, type things. But there's that 20% that have continued to have bad experiences. And I think it's just like we have here on earth. We got good people and we got bad right. people and we got some yeah. nasty asses up there and we got some really good ones up there. Right. And, and so if, if you're unlucky to deal with that. And so we have to help these people uh, get, you know, get out of that situation and, mm -hmm. and, and stop these abductions. And so. Yeah. Mr. Velez, if I may ask, yeah. do you find in your cases over the many, many years that the there seems sorry, let me reword this. There seems to be this notion that there's a sort of a tribalistic faction within the UFO community. One one. I guess you could say group is saying that, you know, only the human looking ones uh, present, you know, the great experiences when abducted, whereas others say that's not necessarily true. What have you found to be the case? The, have there been praying mantis look types, for example, in positive experiences or not so much? 
No, absolutely. It's the latter of what you, what you just said. Uh, mm. You can have a good praying mantis and, and, a, and a lot of them come across that way. There seems to be like this thing. Okay. So you have the, the small gray, he's, you know, some biological robotic uh, combination uh, automaton thing. And then you have the tall gray, which seems to be less of an automaton and maybe somewhat controlling of the small gray. And then you've got the mantid who's in control over the whole right. scenario. And right. They seem to exude a, 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 a more loving uh, type of energy as opposed to a, uh, uh, a negative uh, type of energy. Okay. So, this is going to just probably follow on, sorry, very quickly um, for what you said, Les, about the, the idea there's like an iPhone, these small grays. It just really. Yeah. I, I could just imagine somewhere out there's like a store, you know, where there's a yeah. reptilian in there and there's a tall gray. And they're like, you know, super well, light gray. I want them brown with the big eyes, you know. And another like, I don't want the same, you know. Can no, we have them in like cost blue you or something. Three you know? jars of human cum. So, right. <laughs> you just imagine it's somewhere out there and it's like the Apple Ice store sort of thing, you know. Exactly. Like, yeah. Exactly. Uh, build, like build a bear. So yeah. 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 Well, what, what it makes me think of interestingly is so this abduction phenomena is kind of like recent in the grand scheme of history because uh, you can find stories from Civil War experiences where they saw these things, but they don't, no one got abducted. You can turn to the Bible. Moses followed a ball of uh, fire through the desert at night and a giant like cloud during the day you could equate those to like ufo crafts people see now so ufos and these things have kind of always maybe been here but you don't hear about abductions in those historical like the stories. only thing i can I, sorry i don't mean to speak on yeah. i know there's others that know much uh, better than i do on this there have been some cases just to play devil's advocate where right. you know you say in the bible um for, i think ezekiel was riding the chariot of the gods if you want to call it i oh, think we okay, can yeah. pretty, he was riding in the heavens amongst the heavens sorry right. with the in the gods chariots i presume that would be a craft but anyway yeah, sorry yeah, yeah. anyone there, else who... well yeah there are other stories in the mm. bible of people going up into the heavens i guess yeah you would have to interpret there's a great jacques valet book um which i'm whiffing on the name of but it's just 500 examples before like 1850 of ufos in history um so it is it is something that's kind of persistent um but it does seem to to evolve and i think it the the little differences between the grays and even the big differences between insects and you know human beings uh, I think a lot of that is, can be attributed to the uh, the lens of the the witness, um, yes. you know, because there's a you, there's plenty of cases where two people interact with a UFO are taken aboard and their reports are slightly different, like the right. same, like it was a giant metal hook for one of them, and then it was you know a, a laser beam for the other. These tiny little differences seem to pop up. And again, it's it's similar to to these things that that happen when you're you're under um, intense psychedelic uh, experiences. And again, yeah. that's not to say that I don't want to diminish any experience and say, oh well, it's all psychedelic, it's all no. in the person's head. What I'm, it's clearly something physical is is happening to these people. Right. I mean, these these are physical changes to not only personality, but people come back with implants and scars and bruising, rashes, exactly, um, yep. eye burn. So so yep. 
at somewhere, somewhere, this psychedelic experience, if you will, if you're going from a staunch skeptical point of view, yeah. this hallucination becomes physical. And that's what the paranormal is, mm-hmm. uh, right. you know, and what we're, we're really trying to, to get to the core of. How does that happen? And that's uh, where I kind of wanted to steer it real quick just to, and uh, Brandon, I know I've heard you talk about this, about simulation theory a number of times, and I, I'm very interested in that concept because a lot of times uh, it is used, I would say, this the um, simulation theory is, in, at least in modern terms, is used in a way to once again explain away any phenomenal consciousness experience that this is just a bunch of future humans running ancestral programs on computers. It's not a very creative concept in that sense. Yeah. But if we look at it more as a naturally occurring system and not a human-made simulation, if it's just the simulation and it's part of nature, perhaps, that's kind of how I've been coming at simulation from my psychedelic experiences, mixing it with all these others. And we haven't heard from your perspective yet. And I wanted you to jump in and give us a little bit of this. Absolutely. I, I think you're all right. I think everyone is correct in their assumptions. I think that what we're what we're looking at is um, trying to figure everything out, but everyone's got like island of pieces of puzzle pieces, you know, and so by putting them all together, uh, that's a very important way to look at the phenomena. So the nuts and bolts stuff is interesting. And I think it's been important because some of those observations are valid. But I also think that uh, whenever you turn to more of a psychosemantic type of phenomena, which even Valet, you know, uh, gets there. Um, Heineck got there with Sufos there towards the end of his life, but and uh, McKenna, of course. But I think Chaz was really onto it with the marrying of the psychedelic phenomena. That that analogy is is very apt. I think that that's really really close to the artifacts um, that they're that they come back with after having this experience. Um, the holographic universe by Michael Talbot. Um, his section on oh, great, great book, book right? awesome book. His section on stigmata is what I was thinking about whenever I was uh, hearing that. And these things are manifested by the mind, but physically in the body. And so they're brown, hard spots, cuts that appear and disappear. I mean, this phenomenon has been widely documented, and maybe it has something to do with religion, or maybe it just has to do with the power of the mind, right? Which could be another artifact of this alien phenomena, whatever this thing is. Uh, because the more I look at it as well, the more you kind of have to question the way you think reality works to sort of explain this uh, to any level of degree, which I think changes all the time. Uh, after doing what I've been doing on my journey personally, uh, and especially with the show, uh, I have figured out that the only thing I'm 100% certain on is my uncertainty about every damn thing. <laughs> now, a, a lot of it, and you you could see how that would be possibly um a little jarring or a little unsettling or but honestly it's the most freeing thing in the world because i get to view my world uh differently depending on a new inspiration or thought or psychedelic experience um so i think that leaving things open as far as explaining them differently is for into context of how reality may work for you at the moment uh, because i've really gotten down this deep rabbit hole that it's so damn personal and this does tie to the matrix i'll get there mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the simulation thing um, but I just wanted to kind of bring in the question of the whole, the wholeness of reality, what you think this is, like, is this a simulation? Then perhaps then the uh, UFO phenomena, Bigfoot, paranormal, any of it, which is still all connected, are just artifacts of this matrix or this reality, whatever this is. 
perhaps they're here as agents of a higher dimensional plane that need to interact with the third dimension where we live now. And the way to do this is to dial their vibration down through automatons, through some sort of mechanistic, mm -hmm. physical, tangible thing that has to be created coming from a vibrational density that's much different than ours. So all of these things need to be considered, I think. You need to kind of figure out where you lie on that spectrum to then start explaining all these other things. Now, to the what we can observe through the model of what's kind of accepted here, that we live on a ball, that um, we're spinning around the sun, stuff like that, then the nuts and bolts things don't, don't even come close to explaining that because the argument usually is, and we've, we've all thought this through to the next level. So the argument usually is, well, how can they come from star systems that far? That would be too hard. <laughs> Again, very limiting perspective because we're mm -hmm. anthropomorphizing our ability to reason yes. those problems into the way that they would reason those problems. And so the answer would be then that it's not hard for them, right? That they can just do this to some level of whatever the hell they are. Now, the interdimensional thing kind of explains a lot. I think that would also explain time travel. They're just going down it logically whenever you start yeah. thinking about these things. But to another level, um, it, again, depends on what you think this reality is. If you think that you're an infinite being that's having a uh, physical experience here and that we're all one, we're all the same thing, experiencing this, whatever we decided to create for ourselves subjectively, uh, and that it's all just to, it's a ride, you know, as Bill Hicks would put it, then that then differs from what you think the phenomena is. Maybe it's just an extra thing, you know, maybe it's like, okay, yeah, we could eat apples and just hang out in the sun all day, or... There's a big hairy man over there that just walked into the side of a mountain. Let's go figure out what that thing is. You know, it's kind of exciting, right? It's kind of a, another feature of this reality to yeah. keep you exploring and questioning and keep you inquisitive, you know, and living in the moment. Yeah. I don't know if that answered your question yeah, at all. Oh, well, you know, I, I, I think the thing that uh, is interesting about this phenomena, you know, is it extraterrestrial? Is it interdimensional? Is it time travel? Is it the military? It's all the above. <laughs> It's anything you can think of, yeah. literally. So whatever. One more, if, if I may, just if one I more mean, thing to add to this would be sure. the um, tulpa element, because this also calls yeah. a question about reality, right? If you believe in tulpas or you think that thought forms can manifest in reality and then do physical things, we have small examples of this that you can see. Um, I, I've used the example on the show before of Garfield, right? Garfield is not a real thing, but... Maybe you meet someone because they're wearing a Garfield t-shirt out in public somewhere, and then you love Garfield, and you're like, oh my god, that's amazing. And then you guys get married, fall, you know, fall in love, get married, have kids. The bond over something that's not real, mm -hmm. Garfield in this instance, is a very real, has very real impacts in this reality. Now, the, to the thought form, Tulpa part of this, and this tied back to what we were talking about earlier, is that maybe these things are created by us, or they're created by stories. They're created by somebody seeing a face that looks like a gray millions of years ago in a cloud, telling everyone what that looked like, passing that image down. And then that's how we get that. And that's just something that's ingrained in our DNA from storytelling time and from tribal days of us passing down this thing that somebody saw that then they created in reality, which has physical effects on us to this day. Uh, you, we don't know. I mean, these, these types of questions though, have to be also considered whenever you talk about the phenomena <laughs> that I think it's all about. This, this is off of a, uh, a cave uh, uh, artwork that was uh, found in the Franco-Iberian area. It was like uh, Neanderthal man was drawing these flying saucers. <laughs> so, so I mean, so, th this goes back eons, eons, probably ever since you know we crawled out of the uh, muck and mire of of the uh, beginning uh, here right. on Earth. <laughs> 
Yeah, Bruce, I'd like to get your uh, understanding on that specific part of it, the, the, how old this phenomenon might be, mm-hmm. at least from the, uh, the ET encounter perspective and, and what they may have left behind and if they were here from another galaxy or if it was interdimensional. I mean, you've had physical evidence and you know a whole story about that to weave into this too mm-hmm. yeah i mean there's two different two different threads there i mean on the one side i was going to say i bring up shamanism because of course i mean yeah. we can't detach that from what we are discussing here because we know that in the shamanic traditions you know people have voyaged into other realms where they have seen a lot of the same beings but you know and also other beings and had very similar experiences to the abductees you know they're taken up they're taken into the the sky worlds uh, often they're given implants they are modified in some way they are you know they are given powers often the clever fellas the shamans the priests you know are people who were taken up and had you know crystals put in them you know like implants and stuff like so there's there's a really deep tradition there we know that this sort of what we call shamanic practices they go back at least seventy thousand years with the earliest evidence is in there's a cave in south africa with a, a kind of snake-like rock feature which was there's evidence it was used as a kind of metaphysical complex of some sort you know so there seems to be the earliest um signs of a kind of a, a spiritual shamanic practice that we can find so so seventy thousand years at least of us journeying and you know believing in spirits and all the rest of it so there's a good chance that this phenomena has been manifesting i would say for a, at least back to the roots of that but they, they asked the question when could when could humans conceptualize these things as well? And I think that, again, we're probably looking somewhere around the time of the behavioral revolution, which, again, is around that 70,000 years ago, because prior to that, we didn't really seem to be able to come up with really like figurative art um, language. We don't think we had before that, not in the sense that we have now, again, because we have changes in the brain that occur around about then, which allow us to think in terms of, Uh, events that will happen elsewhere in time and space which we take for granted now but once upon a time we didn't have the the section of the brain the frontal cortex that allows you to say okay tomorrow you and bob will go down to the river and get a fish you know that just would not have been possible you could have just you know pointed like fish now eat it so you know it would just be what's immediate but now we can plan and strategize that comes about with a change in how the brain functions and with a new structure in the brain so I don't think that we could have necessarily come up with these as ideas, certainly before that. So if, if they were already in consciousness, they must be from some kind of direct experiences, because I don't think we could have really, you know, we didn't have that kind of thinking where you could come up with these kind of wacky ideas before you had these brain structures and this ability to conceptualize, you know, the art and stuff that we we can do now. You just couldn't have. It was all just representative, right? You'd see, you know, people would draw a buffalo, just saw a buffalo, or the squiggles, which they think were probably from some kind of, um, again, maybe some of the altered state experiences or from dreams. But you didn't really have the kind of the, you know, painting scenes and um, and really expressing an inner self. Um, so I suspect that, you know, probably the phenomena may be older than that. But I don't know that we could really have conjured it up. So if it's if it's already impacting us before 70,000 years ago. I don't think it's come out of us. You know, I think there must be something influencing us and that this is then we've had the ability to then share it since then. I mean, obviously, sorry. No, go ahead. 
the other thing I was going to say quickly as well on that, just that when we get that ability, and this is kind of interesting, because there's a hard barrier, right? Because it turns out that to, to I, I can't remember the exact term, but to be able to, to have this ability to conceptualize in that way and to have language, which you can use to kind of plan events in that way, right? You have to have been exposed to that form of language within the first three or four years of your life, okay? And that mm. brain structure will not function otherwise. We know this with feral children and stuff, right? But that brain structure as well, you require it and it will, it will not function without that exposure. So you've got two things that kind of emerge at once, the brain structure, exposure to this language and this thinking that allows you to be the way we are, right? But that's a hard problem because that means it emerged in somebody, they had nobody else around them that they were exposed to that could think like that or speak like that. So they couldn't, this couldn't have happened. And like the scientists have written about it, said, well, we have this hard problem because how were those children or that child, you know, exposed? Because if there's nobody else that could do this before them. Right. So then who is there? Who is there? That begs right. the question, well, right? Who is teaching other... these kids? Right? Yeah. Who, you know, and where does this brain change come from? Is it really just incidental or has somebody modified the brain and then taught us this kind of thinking and language. Hey, uh, Andy, I was wondering after Brandon goes, if I could ask Bruce a quick question. Oh, by all means, yes. Thank you. Yes. I, I want to let everyone know quickly, we not only have the CIA in our chat, but also the MI6. Awesome. Oh, good. I, oh, go ahead and call Mossad. Bad times. <laughs> I wanted to make sure we got all the branches yeah. in there, you know? Yeah, yeah, good. Uh, so I was just going to mention the food of the gods element to that, to where, you know, um, being introduced to psilocybin mushrooms at a certain point in early hominid history did double the, or that may explain the doubling of the brain. Uh, and that can happen very, very quickly. Another thing to that would be the hundredth monkey effect. So you wouldn't necessarily by that observation, which science has done in a few different cases, uh, doesn't necessarily need contact to be able to influence the minds of similar species across large distances. So these things pop up in ideas that occur on different spots of the world at different times that were seemingly disconnected. Another thing to think about is whenever we think about our ancient past and how far we think that that number goes back, uh, there's been many traditions back that have talked about the earth being destroyed and started over many times. There's Michael's, Michael Cremo, the forbidden archeologist work that goes back to 200 million years where human settlements and evidence of humans, stone tools and things were found. Couple of things, depends on how out of the box you wanna take it, but time travel, we can't rule that shit out. Uh, there might be uh, time travelers that came back and then influenced their past hominids, which then creates their future, which is this great paradox thing that they have to do that to then make themselves occur, right? Possible, right. or it's leftover artifacts from a civilization that was destroyed seemingly maybe left the Pleiadians they talk about this happening to also a secret space program. When you talk about the, you know, airships of late 1800s with Del Shao's work, there, there's a lot of things that point to that. There's maybe some parent parallel human species or some type that have occurred, uh, exploded and then gone off planet that then to come back and kind of revisit their ancient ancestors, which would be us, their dumb brother and sister or whatever. These are all possible things too. So it, again, just kind of depends on your paradigm, like where you fall on the spectrum of what's possible in this reality. Right. right. So I right. think the, the big core of this back to the shamanism and kind of simulation theory and all of that, the big takeaway from both psychedelic experiences and paranormal experiences is that information, I don't even like to call it entities because that, that personifies it. We're already mm -hmm. making our own mistake again. We're already information. Doing 
can exist non-physically. Yeah. And now yeah. we can debate on if that's in some kind of shared unconscious or zero point you know, field. spirit. Yeah. There's a lot of different thoughts on that. But the, yeah. the takeaway from these encounters is that this information exists without us. Again, and you can see that in psychedelics. People talk to entities all the time. Um, you see that in poltergeist cases. Uh, the most severe poltergeists, they like to gossip about the, the neighbors. Now too. I'm so sorry. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, you know, severe poltergeists, they like to gossip about neighbors. They tell about hidden treasure. Um, you know, aliens too. They have these messages about disasters and all these things. Uh, the flip coin of that is from all those examples, we know one thing for sure about this disincarnate information. It also lies. It lies a lot. <laughs> a lot of that information is, is, is shit. It's not worth anything. Um, mm. Then there's instances where it's accurate, where you were able to, the ghost tells you its name and birth date and someone pulls it up and there it is, you know, or someone remembers a past life where they were murdered and they were able to solve the crime because of it. You know, these bizarre, these high strangeness examples are out there. And uh, even a more common example of xenoglossy, where, you know, someone gets hit in the head and they can speak in like 16th century French. Yeah. And this is something that's recorded yeah. in medical books over and over again. It's something that happens, you know, not all the time, but it happens. And it's, it's yeah. something where, how did they get this information? And so it was somewhere and they got it, they, they, their brain picked it up from somewhere. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess the, the end bit of that point is I want to plug the idea of biocentrism, which is kind of marrying the idea of biology to the simulation theory that, you know, our reality is a, a hallucination brought on by our own mind. We're the generator of the... Yeah, the, I like that. The uh, uh, matrix, you know, it's not a big yeah. machine we're plugged into. We're, right. we're the machine creating yeah. it before our eyes. Uh, and there's a book, uh, Biocentrism, it gets very sciencey, but I think it's Dr. Robert Lanza, who's a neurosurgeon. Mm -hmm. um, and this is kind of his... Uh, his pioneering little theory and um it works in a lot of weird ways and it definitely does in uh if you look at it in this avenue of strange research um so just uh something to, to chew on to to look up after the show homework well, it immediately <laughs> takes i mean dave i know you want to ask a question just real quick it reminds me of as above so below i mean you know mm -hmm. inside and outside it, it's like uh you hear a lot in the spiritual traditions that it's like the external world is a reflection of mm. the internal world and things like that. Mm. So Dave, you wanted to ask a question? Thank you. Hey, yeah. Uh, Bruce. Um, Someone is having fun. What's that? Massad's in here now? Uh, now Massad, KGB, CIA, MI6. Someone is having fun. Dude, screenshot it. Screenshot it. Yeah. Oh man. I, yeah. We got to well, report I, it to the FBI. That's great. Yeah. Exactly. And they won't, they won't do anything anyway. So or the ATF. Just... Yeah. <laughs> um, once and it's talking to himself. When Peter shows up, let me know. Yeah. Yeah. Peter, yeah. Okay. The the thing I wanted to 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 ask uh, Bruce uh, uh, specifically, sir, is 
is there i think when you came on the show a few months two three months back i did ask this but more specifically now is there a certain point in time regardless of where geographically in the world but where you or some of your colleagues that have taken on the task of trying to figure out some sort of dissonance you know between there being you know an evolutionary biology within humanoids and you know the denisovans and things like this is there a certain point in time in which there is a clear clear gap and the public uh, institutions of academia whether it's you know in the uk and oxford or in the us harvard yale stanford refuse to acknowledge and look into it um just to find when you say a clear gap um, yeah what do you mean by that uh, for example let's say there's a a point in time when there's a i guess we could say a a void in which does not seem to understand the expansion of say the skull mm-hmm. in a physical sense physical components yeah. just not mm-hmm. saying that's a, a fact but just as an example Sure. Yeah, I mean, the the nearest to that is the period I tackle, which is around 800,000 years ago, because when for many years, we knew from the fossil record that around 800,000 years ago, there's a rapid acceleration in cranial capacity. And that right. so that was unexplained. And that's basically remained kind of unexplained. But, but what has changed is we now have genetic data that because we didn't have before. And right. it turns out that there's a number of you know, radical changes in the genome that occur, which specifically particularly impact the brain, and some of them would impact brain size. So you can you can easily infer that these are happening at the same time. Genetic genetic changes are a bit harder to get precise dating on. So you might sure. get a range, like they'll say seven hundred to nine hundred thousand years ago or something. But um, so we know these are happening around that time because we can see the changes in the cranial capacity, right? But there's some very strange um, uh, modifications. I mean, I'd say, but they've got the chromosome two fusion. That occurs around that point. Uh, we know that it occurs around then because, first of all, you've got, now that we have the, the genomes of the Neanderthals and the Denisovans, we find that the chromosome 2 fusion is also in those lineages, right? So we know that it has to have occurred before the split. The split is now dated to around about 600 to 800,000 years ago. Some say a little bit more. Uh, so around in that period, again, we are starting to diverge from each other, right? So we know it's happened before that. And then um, there was a British sorry, biologist. Has this, has this, sorry, has this happened in a way that when you look at it from a, it, relative to the rest of human uh, evolution, that happened way too quick or way too anomalistically, if you want to call it? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's several anomalies to the, that fusion. I mean, look, you can have, you can have, you know, fusion events today. You know, sometimes people have the chromosomal errors, right? Right. But those are generally really problematic, right? Really, really problematic. Those people typically can't procreate if they do survive and they have severe problems and also if they did somehow procreate that that anomaly will be lost in the reproduction right you know it's removed so you don't get a continuous lineages of people with a, a new amount of chromosomes or a change in the chromosomes but what you see that that with that chromosome fusion is a total replacement you know all the other primates have 48 chromosomes we have 46 it's believed all the other hominins had 48 we have 46 right so you've got to think all of the hominins on earth with 48 chromosomes are are replaced they're completely replaced right so that is anomalous and then when they look closer this so the only way that we can explain this is there's there's three characteristics it infers first of all that it must have happened in more than one person and bear in mind this is supposed to be a random sporadic kind of mutation because for it to become uh, fixed into the population you need at least two or three you know four people a few people that have got right, this and right. they have to be in the same area they have to be able to interbreed right on on top of that you need to have profound beneficial traits that come with this 
that make okay. it so advantageous that it will persist, right? Uh, and then the third thing is they infer that this must be happening in a small, isolated community. Now, that's kind of mad stuff in itself. When you think about that, that's also all of the definitions of a lab, right? Of a lab experiment that you are creating several entities, you know, several beings at the same time with the same change, that the change is profound, impacts the brain particularly, and then, you know, gives them these abilities that will mean that they can outcompete every other human on the planet, right? And that they're in a lab somewhere in an isolated community, breeding with each other, and then are released, right? Because that, that's, right. you know, so, so that's a very strange thing to have happened. And this is, you know, recognized as a very, and if you look at creationists, if you look at the creationist scientists, they spend a lot of time on chromosome two because for the similar reasons that they can see that this is a profoundly strange event, which they infer is the, um, you know, almost God coming into the game. And changing saying look humans are not like the other primates you know i'm making them special and other by these changes right so that's that is, is such a profound change that they massively focus on chromosome two. is there any public explanation within the stem community like with putting aside i'm talking about the ones that say oh you know the, mm -hmm. the out there the the biologists and all that that say you know this whole thing of aliens is nonsense in our history and all that is what's their explanation if there is one um really no it's still a point of contention you can't really just explain okay. it away again as we say right. you know you've got to somehow take a leap there and say that suddenly a group of people have this strange and at the at the fusion site you've got deletions and additions which again is a bit odd and the fusing of the the, the chromosomes are on an active gene which is to do with reproduction the immune system the brain key areas you might want to get at and so there's there's another anomalies around the fusion itself but it's not alone. I mean, there's other there's other genetic changes that occur in close proximity, like a gene that appears that they described as appearing fully formed from junk DNA, and it's one of our crucial brain genes. Right, it just appears fully formed out of junk DNA. Another one that is a it appears to be a fragment of a larger gene sequence that looks like it's been snipped, copied, and added in. I mean, that's stuff we're doing, right? So right. you start looking at these things around, you know, not just the chromosome two, but some of these other genes that have profound influences to the neocortex and to brain size, they are also anomalous. And again, and we know that the skull, you know, capacity goes into overdrive at this point, and you've got this total replacement starts that these people are going out and out competing all the other hominids. So you've got a series of really strange things going on, right? All in kind yeah. of succession. So it's no, there's not a good explanation. A lot of it we put down to like random mutations, or maybe there was, um, you know, some kind of uh, an ecological event, you know, maybe that we started cooking and, and maybe, you know, meat was helping our brain growth. And so they throw at lots of, you know, thoughts at this, but there is no good explanation that just yeah. tackles this. Gary, Gary Nolan at Stanford University, uh, I guess, uh, was looking at this uh, same topic, and uh, he, he believed that uh, in order evolution uh, as, as a natural process, uh, you have these genes and chromosomes changing, and it takes a, a certain amount of time. I, I forget the number. It would be millions of years. I think it's six million years for all these things to to, to process. And and he, what he what he posited was was the fact that uh, in order for that to happen, to where where we are now, uh, based on where we were, the Earth has to be a lot older than what we claim it is. Instead of being four four point 
one three billion years old it has to be nine billion years old and and so that's that's a fascinating fact in and of itself uh so if that's not the case and the and the, and the earth is only 4.13 billion years old then somebody has been mucking around with our genes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah I've, I've seen um some reference i think in a documentary he was interviewed for where it basically kind of suggests that our dna evolutionary history goes yes. back to as you say older than the earth so yeah. where were where was that dna before the yeah. earth you know <laughs> so then you're in a problem aren't you that you know again which backs up the other idea that of panspermia exogenesis that um our dna is older than the earth because it was brought here right which and then that infers a whole other series of problems that if it was brought here where are the beings have they just left us here are they being interacting and then, you know, you're opening up that whole box that, you know, if they've always been here, why wouldn't they still be here? And then UFOs, alien encounters, would you, abductions. You would know, would you want to be here? <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> Probably zoom well, off and leave it for a while. Yeah, forget it. Here. <laughs> well, I wanted to talk about that, that idea of the DNA coming here or being some form of eternal information, bringing it back to Chaz saying how information could be non-physical. And it does seem like whether it's a psychedelic DMT experience or, or an alien encounter or paranormal or a near-death experience, it all seems to have this deep, deep knowing, this ultimate truth, this same, you know, demystification of everything that uh, we all wonder as, as in normal human life, you come back, it's a, an ecstatic situation in your life and it, it changes everything. It, it completely spins you on your head, you know? And w it's weird to think that, you know, just because they're from another planet or something, they automatically have this deep wisdom to give why you, you know what i mean perhaps it just comes with our evolution is it just being here long enough to figure it out and maybe from our perspective right now in the world it's that is it is like a a bad way of thinking that oh the mysteries of the universe they can never be completely figured out maybe do you guys think it's a matter of time where this deep information that comes from these experiences can be just broadly understood at will through writing or word of mouth or something or do you think it will always remain you know stillness and silence I, and wordless and nameless my quick opinion i think there's been a massive distortion of consciousness amongst the population of this planet but again that might be a bit of an overgeneralization but there's been some type of distortion of some kind similar to how you when you put a bunch of radios in a room for example and you're all trying to get you know every radio tuned to the same station and some radios you can hear the, the song playing on that particular station perfectly others for some reason just the make or the model of that radio it just doesn't suit it i think personally there's been some type of uh mass distortion what using some type of technology apparatus you name it that has created the suppression amongst many other things whether it's spiritual esoteric physical you name it but yeah that's that, that's my two cents yeah my two cents is the fact i don't know if we'll ever fully understand this at least maybe not in this particular lifetime Maybe, you know, you, you hear stories about like this uh, doctor recently that uh, was on a kayaking trip down in South America and went over a falls and was underwater for 30 minutes. 
and was in touch with these entities and she felt this great amount of love and and she wanted to go with them and they said no 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 you have to you have to go back you have things that you need to do and then they also told her that her son when you know when he would turn 18 uh would would perish and uh so she went away from this experience. Of course, she never told her son who was small at the time and forgot about the whole thing. And sure enough, when he turned 18, he got into a car uh, crash and died. Um, what the hell is that? What the yeah. hell is being psychic? You know, you have psychics that can tune in not only to the past or the present, but at the future as to what's going on. Right. And <laughs> is that an, yeah. And I believe you're speaking about uh, Dr. Mary Helen Hensley. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. And she, yeah. I love that you brought her up because she will be joining us on another episode of this witness series for the near death experience focus. Oh, fantastic. So, I can't wait to hear from her. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, it's, it does seem to be connected to psychic phenomenon and, and magic. It's all the same field. Of course, mm -hmm. I think we're starting to broadly accept that on some level, but, um, yeah, it does seem like there's this some this this line of infinite information, this deep rooted truth that's in there that's almost unspeakable, and you can't remember it very well when you come back. Like I remember, uh, we brought up McKenna. McKenna has a great uh, you know way of describing it, where it's like it's the most amazing thing. It's the most amazing thing. It's what am I talking about? <laughs> it's gone mm -hmm. yeah, it's, yeah yeah that's the problem i think that's the issue where i would say that it's not that we can't understand everything it's that i don't think that we can whilst we're in this body i think that mm. once you are out of this body and you expand you know as in nde and anyone who stays in a fair amount of time in an nde type scenario you know you expand and you begin to know like everything you know start to know an enormous amount about the universe the workings of things i just don't think we can know it in this body that the brain limits is a is a um, like a step down transformer for consciousness and for awareness. So I don't believe it's possible for a human being to know everything. I might be wrong, but I just don't think it fits in mm -hmm. human form. But then Boy. once you come out of that form, I think you have the potential to maybe know everything about everything. I, I don't know if you will, but I think you have the potential there. Well, perhaps do we have room for more conscious evolution? I'm, I'm thinking of the song 46 and 2 by Tool, if anyone's familiar, because that song is like about our next step. It's about the mythical Christ consciousness that supposedly we can ascend to. And I wonder, not to go down any negative paths here, but I, I love talking about the mimicry that the parasites love to put on everything. And we've all talked about this together, most of us. And is transhumanism maybe trying to take away from that next natural step that we could take is that well, a false one you know i i've always personally found the idea of the pokemon evolution next step kind of a, a cheesy one um i think it's uh you know something that gets lost it's it's different among different cultures you know the idea of christ consciousness to uh, you know, nirvana to, to any of these claimed states. Um, mm. It's pretty subjective. Um, and I think there's, you know, there's some interesting fear mongering for the, the transhumanism stuff that definitely needs to be, you know, looked at and considered. But I think the, the problem at the human puzzle is that we can't take ourselves out of the puzzle. 
And that's why we can't understand these things. It's because we're, we're limited by our, our human computer. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. It, it's not necessarily, I think, raising, you know, vibrations or anything like that. It's about getting a new observation, a new way to look at what reality is. And from there you can go and, and tinker with it. Are you, are um, you sorry, are, Chaz, are you implying that in, in the sense that once the perspective broadens or alters or both the, I guess you could say that, you know, when you refer to vibrations, not necessarily about it being an ascension, if you will, would you say that sort of falls into line when the perspective broadens and or shifts or? Right. I, I'd say what I think everyone, I think it's more of a, a grander understanding. You know, right. it's not right. we're all turning into Superman and flying around. It's right. like when when people when the Greeks discovered the Earth was round and that just all you know science changed and they were like, okay, well now you can do this and that's how you navigate. And it was just kind of a grander understanding, and anyone who went to school kind of knew about it and was in the know. Um, and then of course there's the idea now that there's some people who are in the know. Right. There's a lot of people who are selling you the fact that they're in the know. Stephen Greer might be one of those people. Oh, yeah. uh, ooh, but, ooh. Uh, <laughs> come for me on Twitter. <laughs> but they uh, let's you not know. hurt his feelings. He he tears up easily, <laughs> but only if it's on camera. Oh uh, yes, of course. <laughs> But the, you know, this, I think being able to look at it from a non-human perspective, and this is already in play. This is how we discover, this it is the field of quantum physics. You know, mm -hmm. we wouldn't be able to do these experiments on particles without computers because we physically can't process it. These particles don't exist until humans look at them. And, exactly. you know, that was a huge, massive step into understanding that and we still don't understand it even the people researching it can't like physically right. wrap their minds it's around a it. paradox yeah. right but through more that's just the first experiment through more um experiments is how you you build the knowledge you know yep. that's how you you do it so you know i think there there's um you know, a truth and an absolute reality to to non-physical information. And I think there's a lot of good evidence to say when we die, we become non-physical information. <laughs> For like, <laughs> that, you know, something's going on there. Somehow we go on to interact with that field of existence. Yeah. Uh, but to understand that and to understand this and below it and above it and so on and so forth, we, we need this. We can't do it yet without help um so you're, once sorry, you're you're referring to interfacing with consciousness if if you in a certain regard am i right yeah. some people call it the the uh you know collective subconscious code. right zero, <laughs> zero point field kind of i think yeah. oh exactly yeah. uh, and again we we have all of these examples where information does it seem to exist without you know a, a creature behind it yeah. So I think that's the, the these examples are particularly important when examining, um, you know, any of these stories. But again, uh, I think the the concept of the trickster is really important as well, right. yes. uh, because I, I, I love the stories. The, the most intriguing stories are the ones where 
uh, like said earlier, where, you know, they predict the death of a family member and it happens and stuff. But there's also a dozen stories for every one of those where they said, oh, go out to the woods at midnight and, and dig a giant hole and right. lay down naked and they'll, they'll take you up to the sky. Trust me, I'm telling you, I'm the Bigfoot in your brain and I'm telling you this is what you have to do. And it's, you know, it, it, it's nonsense. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. There's plenty of pastors who fall for it under the, the name of, you know, whatever deity. And they say, Jesus told me the world's ended on this day. Everyone mm-hmm. sell your mm-hmm. stuff. And yeah. I promise you. And I really do think some of them, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to give them that much credit, but a couple of them actually believe their, their own, they're, they're being tricked by this non-physical information. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, oh, dude, yeah, it's, just a, my I've said it before on this podcast that my psychedelic ex, like my deepest psychedelic experience uh, made me realize that my ego or whatever that is, my inner child, I guess, had been running a conspiracy on me the whole time, you know, like hiding things and and you know confusing me and and keeping me in my own little protective spaces and things like that you know as each and every one of us probably has and it's like our own trickster in our own individual consciousness it's it's almost again again like that as above so below concept that's one of the the core issues of this and even of doing any scientific experiment is how do you take that how do I know this information is actually disincarnate information and not just my subconscious? Because we all know what our subconsciouses can do. We all have dreams. We all get crazy symbolism. And of course, those dreams are a perfect example of where disincarnate information can, can come through. I mean, I think even if, I think I read somewhere statistically, even if precognition doesn't exist everyone would still have about two or three precognitive dreams throughout their lives like it's definitely a thing and that's Mm. the the scientific explanation but it it happens and that information somehow gets picked up but you also you know dream about your english teacher in roller skates you know snorkeling in a hot tub it's (laughs) it's also (laughs) this weird other information that's also somewhere in your your physical mind and your memories so to finding that line of what's legitimate and what isn't 
is, uh, you know, it's why there's a million gotcha sidekick shows because sometimes yeah. that information <laughs> isn't right. Yeah, um, the and gatekeepers then of course, in some cases. Yeah, yeah. And, and a million other stories, it is right. You know, they, the psychic found the lost child, you know, all those kind of stories. There's, there's They're all out there. Um, so it's, it's a, a difficult thing to, to interpret. This is, yeah. this is really going well. The internet is beautiful. We've got Majestic <laughs> 12, FBI, CIA, KGB, Mossad, uh, MI6. No one gets, Joe Rogan doesn't get this many intelligence agencies in his chat. Yeah, we're great. Well, no, they get it privately emailed. To oh, okay. Yeah. I'm going to very quickly, if it's right, I was going to just quickly from me the transhumanism element there yeah. just so yeah. that you know one of the things that um, stands out to me is you know that because if you look at you know all the descriptions of what can be done and where it's going you know brain implants and enhancing your lifespan and eventually maybe you know merging with the ai and uploading to the cloud all of this stuff um and that you know we're told that we'd be able to perhaps upload to robots that can go out into space and explore and live forever but that nobody seems to talk much about happiness joy or why you'd want to do this stuff do you know what i mean it's like i mean where is the happiness in that where's the joy if me in my in my robotic form you know flying through the void for eternity like computing to myself and I stuff. Know, like, it's pretty what, fun and why would, it's kind of like, like a bad trip that you just <laughs> can't really cool. you wish you hadn't took it do you know what i mean i wish yeah. i hadn't had that extra mushroom and you're just trapped and you're trapped yeah. in this metal cube flying through space forever thinking, why did I do that? You know, and yes. I just don't see the joy in it. All the things that your life made your life worth living are gone, right? Exactly. You're just existing in that space. They're removing the body. For, you know, trying to remove it. Of yeah, course. but you go ask them a minute. What, what do they see any happiness in doing? Was it just doing it because you can? And, you know, what is the actual... What's the benefit? What's the real benefit to you? Does anyone, sorry, does anyone here see a, a, a benefit in transhumanism if we were to, say, remove those at the top of the elite power structures of the world and yes. change the agenda? I, does anyone see a benefit to that? Or a big, I would say a big benefit. And I think that's part of what they're, I mean, again, I don't want to stick to the negative here, but like that is part of their game plan, clearly, to make people distrust science entirely which has happened. They're throwing yeah. the baby out with the bathwater, which is terrifying, I think. It's not good. But on the, of course, you know, we have to get particular with that and, you know, do our research and find out who's being paid by who and all that. But oh, don't, don't, honestly, don't get me wrong. science, like, you yeah. know, yeah. Yeah, in general, of, uh, should be still trusted. Right. So I just wanted to say the morals and ethics of it, just because you replace the group at the, uh, you know, the, or the groups at the top right now with a, with a new group. Of course, there's the whole concept of oversight and all that. But just as a, a general question, because we see some cases where there, again, I don't want to say this as if it's fact, but seemingly some of these more positively oriented, at least towards us, the way that we perceive it, extraterrestrials or interdimensional beings seem to have some type of, again, I guess how we would perceive it as mechanical apparatus in an extreme advanced way that benefits them and yet you know these are still beings that that seem to emit very positive emotions you know presuming this is not a it's not a deception but there seems to be a balance of sorts in a certain regard i mean for example very quickly when you take a look at some ancient stories of you know certain civilizations having uh you know i guess you could say tartaria being one of them as uh, allegedly zero point energy but Again, the same concepts of that of, you know, CPUs and computers that we know today 
are not existent in that form at the time. It's zero point energy to benefit the whole of those existing. And mm -hmm. it stops at that. They, they still excel in their technological advancements, but they don't disseminate it to the public immediately. And I'm not saying to keep it secret. It's just more so they put it aside and they understood. Some of these civilizations seem to have understood that, you know, it's, it's only what's needed and it's again, you know, to go to another planet by all means to put stuff in our bodies sure. to make things to make us live longer biologically, sure. But there seem it seems like some of these ancient civilizations seem to have known the limit, you know, where to stop. But I could be wrong. Okay. Yes, okay. well, uh, well, I think we're we're again uh, limited by our own selves in that right. capacity. I think that um, the this kind of fear of a Jeff Bezos robo god of destruction <laughs> is, um, I, I mean, I fear it too. It's a good fear to have um, and we should watchdog it. Uh, but um, the, uh, the, this, we're still missing in our science a huge leap before anything like that's even feasible. We're still in this idea that we can continue crossing wires forever and eventually we'll get a brain that thinks mm -hmm. like us right. and that's so we're missing so many so many steps <laughs> you know in that in between there uh before we can even entertain the idea i mean i would love to watch them try <laughs> it's gonna be it's, interesting there's yeah. gonna be some a lot of dead interns at elon musk's you know yeah, right. labs or whatever but it's it's there's this fundamental misunderstanding. And again, it's through these outlier cases, through the paranormal, um, where you, you find you know, clues to, to possibly solving that answer. And again, just like any other field, I think introducing you know, the, the computing power with its statistics and abilities, you know, more focused on, on the paranormal, you're gonna get some results there. And I think there are people onto it. I think um, Robert Bigelow, when he brought that, bought that skin Walker ranch, was trying to do something like that. Again, who knows what his, most of the results I, sorry, I, I just the, wanted to super quick. I think Robert Bigelow, and I, I'm just curious to get everyone's opinion. If you guys just a simple yes or no, Robert Bigelow to me is a perfect example of someone, the odd person who literally had the cash to burn. He's a perfect example of when you have hundreds of millions to blow, you could find out the truth and you can find out the truth by realizing that the people surrounding you in your search for the truth or for UFOs and what you name it are disinformation agents. Mm -hmm. And it, and again, you see his, you know, allegedly his, you know, um, institution of his aerospace company partnering with NASA. I think that's a perfect exam example of if you literally have hundreds of millions to blow, literally, you can find the truth and then, but you will be silenced. But you see what I'm saying? I, I don't know if you guys agree with me or not. I'm, again, this is presuming you have the cash to blow, like, and he did, yeah. Yeah, we just he yeah, hasn't no, shared the truth, has he? <laughs> so if he found the truth with his money, he hasn't come public with it, and most right. of his files have remained private. Well, so, that's, you know. this is the question. Do we believe him, like, when he went on 60 Minutes, and he goes, when he, when he said something along the lines of, mm. uh, don't quote me specifically, but he inferred and also said, like, it's right They're under here. our noses. He goes, They're once, here. Yeah, they're right here. under our noses, and he goes, when you realize what I found that I can't say, it's like, my God, they're literally okay. right here. So I do have what I affectionately call B-theory. Um, it, it is my B-theory, but it's spelled B-E-E. -E. 
And it is this idea, this human-based um, explanation for the phenomenon. Uh, and um, sorry for this little tangent, but it's That's weird. Okay. Yeah, uh, this is one of the weirdest high strangeness kind of stories I've ever come across. Um, so I was in Morocco like six or seven years ago traveling. And I met this dude who said he was the son of a CIA agent. And um, short story, he showed me some evidence that kind of confirmed it. I can't like say his hand of God that he was a son of a CIA right. agent, yeah, yeah. but I saw some weird shit. Okay. Uh, and he told me that UFOs were based off of the thorax of honeybees, um, which is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Hmm. And he said there was an anti-gravity chamber in there and that they reverse engineered it. And that's what pilots a UFO. Uh, years later, I was doing a podcast and a guy on that podcast said he'd read that little anecdote in my book and said no way because a guy told me on his deathbed that bees were what was behind ufos and he wouldn't elaborate <laughs> anymore so we had two shadowy people saying bees were behind ufos so, so the final the extinction of bees then like are there so, that's well, a psyop it's a psyop okay from maybe the it's all the governments rushing to collect bees so yeah, they can get their they, own they, UFOs. They, they have your number, Chaz. They know, I know, they know right all about you. Let's give them the bee theory. I swear, I get Guys, Chaz, I wanted to thank you for that because if I could uh -huh. very quickly, Andy, if it's cool with you, there's something, a quote from Colonel Philip Corso I just wanted to read oh, that I by think. by all means. Thank yeah, you. Corso um, was deep in. Right. He says, and I quote, there's an old story I once heard about keeping secrets. A group of men were trying to protect their deeper secrets from the masses. They took their secrets and hid them in a shack whose very location was a secret. But the secret location was soon discovered and it was discovered the secrets that the group was hiding. But before every secret could be revealed, the men quickly built a second shack where they stored those secrets. They still keep kept to themselves. Soon, the second shack was discovered, and the group realized they would have to give up some secrets to protect the rest, so they again moved quickly to build a third shack and protect whatever secrets they could. This process repeated itself over and over until anyone wanting to find out what the secrets were had to start at the first shack and work their way from, the sh from shack to shack until they came to where they could go no further because they didn't know the location of the next shack. For 50 years, this has been the very process by which the secrets of Roswell were protected by various special incarnations of an ad hoc confederation of top secret working groups throughout different branches of the government and private industry and is still going on today end quote my god that was <laughs> awesome i had That's never scary. read that before Brilliant. you brought up roswell <laughs> you brought up roswell uh i just saw an, an article uh and it, it i tell you it was w well written about the fact that einstein actually went out to to see the craft uh, I don't know if yep. you guys saw that recently. I've, but, I've, uh, yes. Apparently he was of the, he, he allegedly, he filled in the holes because according to Ben Rich, former head of Lockheed Martin Skunk Works division, he had said in the latter part of his life, a handful of quotes that, you know, have yet to have be yet to debunked, be. if you will. But he had said that Einstein figured out his own essentially uh, missing equations but again totally off the record the the public still believes he died with you know not fully understanding the theory of relativity that he so founded and or you know just curated discovered whatever you want to call it but yeah absolutely yeah one other thing uh 
I had lunch with uh, Lou Elizondo just before COVID uh, shut everything down. And uh, we were talking about, uh, you know, these, these uh, Tic Tacs. And uh, what he told me was, was, was quite amazing. Uh, and at the time he said, well, you know, this is kind of hush hush, but uh, the fact that we understand how these things operate. And, and so uh, that was quite a revelation. And evidently, it's an interaction with the skin and how the skin of the craft is made up. And he says, you don't need a huge a power source. So, you need a very small one. And it's not, you know, it's not air, uh, element 115. This has nothing to do with it. So, so anyway, that's crazy because a, the sorry, sorry, of beat, if I sorry, Just really quickly, was he, do you think in your opinion, sir, he was referring to there being because i've been told off the record my not by people such as lou and at that high level but i've been told off the record there are various forms of propulsion like various forms that can access the anti-gravity apparatus yeah he was specifically talking about the tic tac so uh okay. yeah Go so, ahead. Yes. The, the kicker of b theory was that i found through research a russian scientist who is an entomologist he was a bug scientist who apparently wrote in like a one chapter in his autobiography memoir about how he discovered the anti-gravity uh, capabilities of exoskeletons in certain insects. And he had stitched a bunch of these exoskeletons that would float together into blocks. And he supposedly had this platform that would levitate. Um, and there's some experiments using his this, this stuff that make things float in a weird way. Um, there's a bunch of examples of it on YouTube. And he supposedly reported that flying this craft, if he ever dropped something off of it, it would like disappear and like reappear in someone's, like embedded in someone's window. Um, he would take uh, larval insects with him from his research zone, put them in his pocket, fly on this thing and they'd uh, be in their final stages of life in the test tube. It, it had all of these weird effects and specifically where he landed and operated this craft, that effect would hang around for days, poltergeists and all this weird stuff. Um, <laughs> and Amazing. on his first test run, he noted that when he flew um, around the university he worked at, the next day there were all these UFO reports but they didn't report a little man on a platform. They reported mm -hmm. these glowing yellow discs, three mm -hmm. glowing yellow discs, even though he was one person, but they perfectly tracked his, his pattern. Um, so according to him, though, he wasn't the only UFO thing in the news. So he thought mm -hmm. that, oh, well, someone else had discovered this as well. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not going to share this. I don't want to get in trouble. I live in Russia. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. And he put the project mm -hmm. away. Um, yeah. And, you know, it, mm -hmm. this weird kind of human explanation that, well, it kind of explains all the weird psychedelic stuff, just being around these craft apparently mm -hmm. has that effect. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe Robert Bigelow just was operating a skinwalker that was just the landing zone for his UFO. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to see what people would, how people would interact with the, the so-called paranormal after mm -hmm. effects. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, so yeah, it makes some sense, doesn't it? It's like an unreality drive, you know, yeah, where, like where, the, where these the, things the go, they destabilize uh, reality and you get the, all exactly. these other things, Yeti turning up. And, exactly. And, right. and, and this is yeah. what this Russian bug scientist who has no mm -hmm. interaction with the paranormal phenomenon, this, this one-off, 
kind of thing written in his journal was like, yeah, this is, this is what I've discovered. I'm pretty sure that's what UFOs are. And I mm-hmm. had two weird, weird sources that kind of yeah. corroborated that. And if it is, if Lou Elizondo is being entirely truthful, um, then perhaps, yeah, it's as simple as lining these craft with, with Saiten, the exoskeletons of certain insects. You yeah. just slap them up there, and then it's really easy to float it. <laughs> well, it's also just throw a hemi in it, you're good. <laughs> well, you know, Linda Howe, uh, you know, came up with uh, this meta material that uh, was a very interesting combination of materials and how it was put together. Which, you know, at the time, uh, uh, you know, we, we we can't figure out how to how to actually produce it. But uh, so something like that, as far as an exoskeleton uh, for a craft. Uh, an interaction with the power source is something that supposedly that's what Lou was talking about at the time. One other thing you mentioned, the Skinwalker Ranch, real quick. Uh, I, I had two remote viewers look at it, and uh, they both came up with literally the same thing, that there, there's a source deep under under that ranch uh, that is, is, is active uh, and uh, supposedly with aliens. <laughs> so... Uh, or perhaps it's just a human craft bending reality. B theory. Let me take this B theory somewhere here for a second. Yeah. because. Sorry, uh, Andrew, before, if I could, one thing just to add to what Mr. Velez said. Uh, have any of you... Call me Les. Call me Les. Les. Sorry, okay. sorry, Les. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, there is the... the uh, from my some of my research has found that there's very peculiar ionized air pockets that are in amongst certain, I don't want to say Skinwalker Ranch, but near the areas where allegedly some of these, uh, not just deep underground military bases are, but these mountain bases for some of these aliens, uh, for where they store their craft, they're some ex-military whistleblowers, if you want to call it, have off the record claimed that they've witnessed uh, firsthand when working in these black projects, some of them working with these beings, and they would telepathically ask the beings what they were doing, and they would say, we're ionizing, uh, we're creating ionized air pockets for, for a multitude of reasons. Mm. No, I've never That's heard that one. Well, That's interesting. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there is some actual real hard science behind that when you'd like a church steeple or a pyramid or like it ionized layers can't go around things they have to couple up and go over so when you have a pyramid like that it literally bundles all the ionized layers at the very top of it so there's thoughts that let things like churches the pyramids there was an ancient kind of esoteric technology to them whereas now we may be i mean we've lost that technology we don't have access to it are they putting stuff in our water our food like we have been hampered or it's a, mm. people don't like it but we have been retarded we've been slowed down of our mm. natural like actual maybe biological abilities mm-hmm. and we have this mm-hmm. like fake technology now yeah we have yeah, technology mimicry. yeah mm-hmm. it's very interesting just for- very quickly on bees, just a, yeah. the, this, yes. the side thing from that was that um, it's interesting that in several different suspected, you know, UFO or flying saucer type crashes, uh, the material found is the honeycomb material. And I know that in our own, right. I know that in our own space program and, and aerospace program, we use honeycomb materials, but it, but it is kind of funny that, yeah, these supposed alien craft, the debris is honeycomb. It does, well, they, I thought in the past, is it because they're insectoids? And that well, they, you know, they prefer that, you know, it's kind of strange, yeah. That actually, I didn't want to get into any of the too sciencey stuff, but that actually plays right into what uh, Gurbinikov, this, this Russian scientist, wrote. 
um, he had discovered this thing called the CSE, the cavity structure effect. And mm. basically mm. it's any, anytime you honeycomb a bunch of material, um, mm. even if it's just like a bundle of plastic straws gripped together, it creates a unique um, electromagnetic field. For whatever reason, it scrambles it in a, a weird mm. way. And there's all these experiments. You can put like a matchstick in a closed jar and then do the bunch straws and it'll spin the matchstick. And mm. there's there's hundreds of examples of this. And supposedly medical act applications, it kind of gets into like some weird, you know, organ energy. It's very adjacent to some of these other weird uh, theories of energy. But it was based on specifically these cavity structures. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, that's absolutely mm -hmm. uh, one of the, the core connections. In that I've ride. seen some of these videos, by the way, about the beetles wings doing the, the anti-gravity. Uh, yeah. Quick little thing just to throw in there very quickly. Um, uh, Camden and myself a handful of days ago discovered on the dark web. Now, granted, keep in mind, it we haven't ascertained the veracity of it, yeah. so it's up for speculation. But allegedly some uh, a piece of footage, maybe about... 25 30 seconds long of it seemed to have been filmed back in the 80s on um a structure um outside on the backside of mars when i say backside i'm saying relative to the position of we where we are on earth and the structures were honeycomb structures so wow. i i just find yeah <laughs> Again, i just wanted to throw that every in time i talk about this theory it's like the most and the the reason i like to bring it up it brings up the most synchronicities every time yeah. someone's like yeah actually that's that's weird you say that but yeah, I have a thing that kind of matches up. Right. It's, well, it's one I, yeah. to consider. <laughs> when when I heard uh, the, the idea that it didn't have to take a lot of energy, like I've always mm. like I've heard this thing about bees that like they fly and it doesn't even make sense that they fly because of the sound, the vibration that they make with their thorax, so I believe, the, right? The, the current explanation there is that they they use this unique whirlwind pattern so the the old adage is bees are too heavy to fly and so like it's a sacred like yes like a spiral uh, and some mit mathematician professors were doing the math one day and they were like oh well, yeah bees are too heavy to fly and so there's this idea that they somehow do this special whirl pattern that lets them fly but mm. there's still a mystery about one thing that the scientists call uh the bees efficiency mode so when bees are carrying pollen back to their nest, they are lighter than they are normally, even though they're carrying more weight. And scientists have dimension. no idea how this, how this works or how this operates. They call it the bees efficiency mode because it loads up a bunch of stuff. It should be twice its weight, but it's actually, you know, 0 0.001 grams lighter or whatever it is. And it, it flies off and gets back to the, the nest and then goes out. And when it goes out, it's normal weight. It's so like it's, putting everything into a zip file or something. Yeah, it, it somehow <laughs> lifts more than, than should be possible. And this yeah, is still they're losing a mystery weight. in they're, science today. They're, lo they're losing weight in the process. What a great way to lose weight. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. yeah, it's it's definitely uh, working it's hard. Definitely a strange theory. And, well, and uh, also, so, go ahead, Chad. Full disclosure: I've run it through some other avenues for some people who work for some places, and they were like, "No, nah, I've never heard of anything like that." So mm -hmm. maybe, maybe it's a really well condensed secret. 
Um, but you know, there's some some other information I've received that seems pretty legit from these people. So, you know, it's it's a theory, and that's one of right. one of many. Again, I think from the over amounting, overwhelming amount of evidence suggests something. You know, more on the psychedelic, not these these entities, the source of these crap being something uh, non-human. I think well, there's a, a well, staunch amount of evidence and that can't be, be discounted entirely. But I think the, the B theory, uh, there's part of me, you know, humans are weird and there's a lot of us. <laughs> so that theory, when you do the Dude, statistics no. on it. Well, no. it made me think of the sound particularly, and I know this sounds kind of a, a reach perhaps, but whenever I think about in the beginning was the word, I always think of sound and frequency. And I don't know, what do you guys think about that from the religious perspective over to what it could be an allegory for? Who knows? Uh, super quickly, if I could just say, um, it's been said, again, this may be a little bit of a confined or limited perspective, if you will, but the, it's been said even amongst scientists in the public academia of, of, of STEM that... Um, we get some of our best tricks from nature right now again it, sort of referencing going back Chaz, to the whole uh you know bee honeycomb ideology there it, it's it's interesting because if we get our best tricks from nature or the simulation or whatever we are living in not just this planet but you look at other planets and there's very interesting quite ironic i wouldn't say coincidental because of how often it shows up but hexagons and honeycomb type structures yeah. being seen it really makes you think ultimately when you take a step back if these beings at a much more advanced level are taking advantage of the, I guess you could say, sacred geometry of the simulation that we live in, at least relative to this dimension, it wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me at all. But again, I well, say that because we may be perceiving it in a very limited way. So I don't want to make it seem like it's as simple as that. But and it, well, it could be something even more simple. One of one thought I've, I have entertaining this is it could be as simple as if you think of humans in our architecture and our our roots and our uh minds our geology is mostly triangles we build in triangles triangles are our strongest structure it could be a simply different the difference between us and them is they their base unit of geometry is a, a hexagon right and it's just they understand how that works and so they understood this cavity structure effect as a law of nature, like we understand gravity as a law of nature. And their science has just been based around this. And, you know, both things can be true. They could be from a different world using the same, you know, physical uh, right. properties that we can find in our world in honeybees for some reason. <laughs> right. Yeah, I've been saying a lot. I've been saying a lot that the, the strings are being pulled from outside of the theater because like, you know, a lot of times people get a little paranoid about seeing the hexagon everywhere and stuff like that and think it's all rigged for nefarious purposes. But then I don't know, man, it's, it seems to be written right into nature already anyway, in the golden ratio and stuff like that. And if that's rigged, then it's the whole thing. And it's really is like, there's some sort of mechanism going on from outside of the spectrum that we're in or something like that. Brandon, you've been, you haven't jumped in in a while. What do you got to say about all this? I just think you guys are awesome. And that's great. Another uh, hexagonal <laughs> type structure uh, that I hadn't heard mentioned yet is uh, supposedly that storm on top of Saturn. That's been right. there for really That's long. what I was thinking, yep. man. Uh, yeah. That's another weird one. Yeah. <laughs> that, there's there's another synchronicity. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
No, I dig it. I, I love this conversation. Uh, this has been one of the best one of these I've been a part of so far. So awesome job, oh, guys. Great. You guys are just incredible uh, to be able to share this time with. I, I love this. You guys are all amazing. That's honestly what I was. I was just listening. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> you know, they, um... if, if there is a sentient, purposive uh, entity consciousness out there controlling all of this, th that, you know, the human body, uh, it's got a lot of faults. They mm -hmm. screwed yeah. up. Oh yeah, <laughs> they screwed up. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Maybe they're coming back to try to uh, correct mm -hmm. some of this uh, mm -hmm. that's been going on. You know, some of these uh, abductions. Uh, I don't know if you, I'm sure you guys have heard about this. That uh, the fact that people come back and they they become healers. They right. they have the healing ability. I've been healed yeah. personally from afar. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I had yes, I issues. have, and and, and, and and then people are become uh, uh, empathic. And, and, be, and being able to, to really understand a person before they even open their mouth. Uh, I mean, these are incredible and you, things. And you hear that a mm -hmm. lot from the near-death experience side as well, that people come back with a, a greater purpose that they were reminded of. In most cases, it's a reminding, not a learning. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, that ties in. The, the shamanistic traditions, that's, you know, there's usually a, a ritual for, for up and coming shamans. It's usually right. a heavy dose of something that puts you on the verge of death and puts you in an altered state. And again, people come back with a, this understanding and, you know, powers for essentially the lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. well, it's interesting to me what they've turned psychedelics into a rave culture, a, like go look mm -hmm. at big flashing lights and loud noises at a, at a festival when they really are. Yeah. Traditionally very intrinsic, uh, spiritually focused things yeah. to go do. So I, I guess that's where they tried to like change it after the sixties. Cause they realized, Oh, a lot of people take acid and stuff like well, they actually will care. Oh crap. They're taking off to India. Oh no. <laughs> I think this is one we, um, we tend to, uh, you know, put a malicious energy behind because it feels malicious, you know, the drugs right. being illegal and these kinds uh -huh. of things. But I think really what, what, what existed in the Americas before, before Europeans arrived was a, an, a science based around the use of these, these drugs. And just from reports of, you know, the, the conquistadors and of their own tribal legends, shamans were able to commune with animals, control them. Um, even from uh, places in modern Africa, you have stories where uh, local shamans are able to, uh, one of the, my favorite ones is they're able to reroute ants and they'll like use it to, you know, uh, extort people. They'll be like, well, if you don't pay me, the ants will come back to your house. <laughs> but there's, there's these people and these are accounts written in the seventies and the eighties of, you know, uh, Europeans down there. And they're like watching this dude who goes up and he stares at the ants and this thick line of ants just turns around and climbs down the stairs and it's just turning at the point where he he looked and mm -hmm. so it seems that there was this understanding and to some degree maybe in some hidden schools there still is of how to use these substances to interact with the the non-physical uh, information fields and I, you know any kind of i think creature shares a, a, some kind of neural network Right. Um, just living on earth we're all kind of and that's the oneness you feel when you, you take mm -hmm. psychedelics um mm -hmm. or yes. go on one of these these abduction experiences and, and often uh scenarios so mm -hmm. it's it's uh I, I think you know the rave culture and these things are you know it's it's like when you give a toddler an uzi <laughs> you know it's not <laughs> 
it's not going to work out. You know, he's just going to do whatever. He's going to wave it around and right. it's going to be wild. Yeah, <laughs> and, it's just the same old business of excess. You know? Right. It's, mm-hmm. it's not about the, because, you know, McKenna always said, do it in silent darkness. And man, right. I did that one time. I just it. went mm-hmm. in my closet with five grams of dried mushrooms and yeah, I think my friend checked on me and I couldn't speak English to him. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's the, that's where you go to do it. You, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah, supposed to be an initiation for yourself. Of course, yeah. that well, word even gets a scary negative term in a lot of mm-hmm. our community. <laughs> and it, I think it's really more important than ever now to have more people like Terrence McKenna. who were able to do these experiments mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, kind of reverse engineer the science you know mm-hmm. of of using these substances and I, that's what we need more of and you know uh i think everyone worries about legalizing these substances and um all the crazy partying that will happen which is radical uh, <laughs> you know i don't care about that anyway. cool go for it um but i think the benefit far outweighs any of you know mm-hmm. yeah there's people who who abuse these substances right. there's people who abuse oxycontin every day there's people who use it as medicine right. it, that's going to be the 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 dynamic always with with substances mm-hmm. but to to have people be able to research uh i know just from my perspective from my research the amount of times where i'd be like well this is would be the perfect dosage and if i could use this that would be the one and then no, I can't do any of that. So I'll just use this, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because mm-hmm. I just don't, I don't have the access. I can't, you, I can't do it in the most scientific way. So all of mm-hmm. my experiments to some extent are crapshoots because I can't get it down. I, I try the best I can, but you can mm-hmm. only do it so, so far. So I think it's yeah. uh, an important. Um, you can't take yourself out of the, out of the puzzle, like you said. And exactly. it's interesting that you brought up that imagery because there was one that. experience I had with, I believe it was LSD, and we were outside under a weeping willow tree, probably smoking a bowl or something like that. And suddenly we were all, and we it was a mutually shared experience that we all felt as though we were inside a 2D painting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we were observing it as a part of it at the same time. And that was a very freaky situation. If I could add quickly, this is what I was referring to when I said maybe about an hour ago, um, pertaining to the sort of distortion of consciousness, because you Mm. have these certain instances in which there seems to be a deep intrinsic connection from an esoteric spiritual level, and which could, I would presume, be able to be explained scientifically. It's just we're not privy to it publicly. But there seems to be these little fragments of deep connections and shared experiences experiences but it seems to just stay isolated with respects to that particular experience and then as you know in your case andy you went you go home your, your pals go home and it's never you know yeah we, we left the painting it was right the, right exactly that's what i'm saying but in the sense of once the drugs wear off and all that that shared experience cannot be obtained I guess, without the psychedelics or without the drugs. And that's unfortunate because that's the part I'm saying in which feels as though there's been a mass distortion or Mm. suppression. Well, also, just Mm. real quick to add to that is that, you know, another reason why people, I think, a better way to look at distrusting some psychedelic form is that, like, 
you know, it's like taking a jetpack to the top of the summit of a mountain rather than climbing it, doing the work and having all of the experiences that occur along the way that make you that efficient climber. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and a lot of people do say you use the psychedelics as a tool, but then you can take without it. You mm -hmm. can go mm -hmm. to those places mm -hmm. forever more if you can train yourself. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a door. It's a, it's a way to open yourself up. It's a, it's a jump pad, right. perhaps, right. you know. It's interesting that, you know, there's a kind of a, a West, a common, what I was going to say, Western or modern world mm -hmm. misconception with shamanism that, that most shamanism is to do with psychedelics. But in fact, most shamanism has no use of psychedelics. Right. Because instead you will use, um, you know, rhythmic dance, um, starvation, drumming, uh, sound right. deprivation, darkness, you know, drumming. And, and most of the time they're not using psychedelics to enter these spaces. And that's kind of, so, so though I think because the world we are in, that it, it suits us in the disconnected and lacking maybe our traditions um mm. that so we use them to get back into that world as a kind of like not you know just blow the door off kind of thing mm. but they, right. they know how to knock on that door and have it open by many other ways without doing that and i think that's kind of interesting and also the other thing i say with that when you said the connected experiences which are really interesting because you know if we look at the the say the this plant world and obviously a lot of time you're entering via the plant world by taking these plants but the plants are interconnected and we now understand that the the story of shamanism that all the plants were like you know the, the forest was like a living entity that all the plants communicated and for a long time people like you know yeah, bs you know silly primitive people but now we know that no the um the roots are all interconnected the mycelium are connected like a big brain and that these plants are communicating they're sending each other messages they send chemicals like hang on so do animals do that do humans do that is there some level where we do and we know in the psychedelics that say with um you've touched on an event there but i mean i've had that with um san pedro particularly where you mm. enter a communal space you're all in the same journey you're seeing right. the same stuff you're sensing the same stuff you know you're there together and it's like you reconnect that mycelium network between human beings which seems right. to be the part of what's you talk disruption i think what we've had disrupted is that interconnectedness of human beings yes and that's allowed for things like the psychopaths and the and the world controllers who have taken over because if they were interconnected in that way you just couldn't end up with these kind of people you couldn't right. end up with them because apart from others you'd sense the the disease you can nip in it them, in the butt right? real quick yeah yeah absolutely yeah. Like the trees sense that that tree has a problem always right. being attacked yeah. they know all that straight away in the network yep. right but we don't and so these people can rise to a position of illness where they are now destroying our network right, right. and that's and something unique it. to humans and they like that, to use the word at unity lately that's a big thing I, on there right on there. i just i just want to say very quickly what you said there bruce if that is not a metaphor for even those that do not subscribe to the esoteric aspect of things mm -hmm. if what you said there is not a, a, a metaphor that could be applied to life in general with it, whether it's our political system financial system again if you know say for example 30 40 million people within the u.s or the uk woke up tomorrow morning and all of them drove over to the bank and said to their local bank said I want to liquidate everything, my assets, cancel my credit card, pull everything out in mm -hmm. cash. You see how quickly the banks will cater to the people because so many of them are requesting it in one shot. Um, mm -hmm. the, the one thing I wanted to add to that, uh, to what you said, Bruce, uh, was um, do not quote me specifically, but it's interesting we're even having this sort of conversation overall because yesterday evening I was reading a handful of excerpts from Rudolf Steiner. Now, think of him what you will, but there was something in which he wrote, again, please don't, I, I don't want to butcher his quote, but he said something along the 
lines of until the masses and the, he's speaking of the people of the world come to accept the reality that there are in fact interdimensional beings good and bad but th that the negative ones feed off of the negative thoughts and negative um i guess you could say presuppositions mentally neurotically from humans on in this dimension we're never going to be able to fully get rid of the the poltergeist phenomena, the different, you know, very negatively oriented uh, entatorial phenomenons, if you want to call Demonic. it. Demonic. Demonic, the, the whole thing. And, and one last thing very quickly, my, my audience will know I, I use this example quite a bit, but if you take an EMF device... And you go to a mosque, a church, you name it, go to and put that literally put that device anywhere, even remotely close to where there's maybe, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 people praying. If you want to call it, you see that thing spike. You'll see, you'll see that thing just spike. And interestingly enough, there was an individual who took it to the Vatican many years ago. This was, I think, mid to late 80s. Just, you know, Vatican, when people come outside to listen to the Pope speak or watch right. him speak, whatever, and then they do that moment of prayer. I don't believe it's so much the religious aspect of it. I believe it's the energy that is being focused towards a particular thought yeah. that is yeah, what makes the, the EMF reader study. spike. Like right, Lynn McTaggart did the intention, yeah. the power of eight. Right, yeah. Yeah. I think that's an important thing to to hit on with that was touched earlier on. You know, the, these traditions, most of them aren't <laughs> psychedelic, and um, you can have these interactions. You can spur them on through meditation and things. It's what Stephen Greer sells for five thousand dollars. But you <laughs> can do it. Have, you can do it in yeah. your backyard through through simple. Well, he doesn't provide a chair. <laughs> it says on it, "Bring your own chair." That's and you know, just to, just <laughs> to anything to to continue that point real quick. And we brought up Lou Elizondo earlier, and um, not nothing one way or the other about Lou, but he suggests that I think he made fun of uh, CE five at some point and said that he was just dropping signal flares out of planes or something like that. And to me, that throws the baby out with the bathwater because I think the only reason why Stephen Greer is selling what he's selling is because, once again, they only sell what is appealing to yeah, us and to on a deep degree. core. Yeah. Because that deep core, we are, we know, we know that there is value in there somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Perhaps it's being skewed or perpetuated mm -hmm. in a. I just, in it, I just wanted to. Yeah, sorry. I just want to say very quickly because there's some people in the in the live stream chat for the last two hours that have been saying when we would bring up Greer or what have you, they would say what's wrong <laughs> with Greer. My personally, I f this is more to to the audience. I don't for those watching live right now. I don't mean to speak on behalf of you know the other uh, the other gentleman here, but personally i don't here's the thing i believe his core message in in a lot of ways is aside from the tribalistic aspects of it there's there's a lot of positive things that could be taken from it i just i agree again, my disagreement is the the amount of financial yeah, yeah, the price tags, the issue. That, that's, my, that's my yeah, disagreement. His personality uh, rubs me the wrong way sometimes, but that's kind of a rude character uh, assassination, honestly. I'll, if I'll, I have done it a bunch to him in particular <laughs> because he makes so much money off of it. And it's a little disturbing how... Uh, for me, listen. To, for me, to each, to, to each their own. I think over. I, I think it's unfortunate to see people in the UFO community sort of taking sides. You know, again, yes, I agree. Like how sort did of the counterculture community well, fall for the two-party system? I know. Right. It's, maybe it's well, not because, because wait, wait, because <laughs> it, because the damn strings are being pulled from outside the theater. It's go. not. It's not some political system. It's like it's fucking part. Yeah, it's, it's like we us. have a duality it's concept that, stuck in our brain. Well, yeah, again, that serpent well, no. that eventually becomes the so, eagle, but <laughs> so essentially, though, me and Greer are arguing from the same point of view that these entities there's right. a, a non physical psychedelic nature to these entities. 
the I'll talk. I'll, I'll talk some snacks. My sorry, my personal there. opinion about it. Greer. Do I have that. nothing. To, <laughs> I just wanted to bring this up, Chaz, before you go on, just because mm -hmm. I, I wanted to get your take on this sort of. Um, this is my personal opinion about Greer. I have no evidence to back this up, but my personal thoughts regarding him is that he is, I guess you could say, indirectly or directly representing a particular or handful of factions of aliens, and whether their intentions are good or not is hard to say. I, I do believe he's he's advocating on behalf of a particular, again, faction, group, species, whatever you want to call well, it. Well, that's, that's actually my issue with him, is that uh, I think if... Sorry, I don't know for the, the record. Research, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. That's just well, what I think, yeah. If, if he's done the research, which I, I totally believe him capable to do, he would know that these entities, again, there, there's only two hard truths that I'm willing to, to put firm. Information lives, exists non-physically, and it can lie to you. <laughs> and right. that, that's a big number two yeah. he seems to be ignoring in his Well, his, you know, you know Greer, Greer, his work. His, Greer is of the mind that abductions are not real and that they're based on military interactions, right. Right. which yeah. I think is a bunch of bull. Yeah. Bullshit. You you think it, okay. uh, you think Lester mm -hmm. it could be a little bit of both um yeah. military running well, no 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 okay let me let me just finish sure, that sure. thought then because uh, you know whether it's extraterrestrial interdimensional uh time travelers or the military which I think it's all the above because there's certainly cases of mill lab uh, type of abductions where the military is involved uh along mm -hmm. with various entities so, uh, so, mm. and, and Greer feels that every, every, all these uh, people are perfectly wonderful. And, and there's, that's not the case. That's, that's the Hegelian dialect. Well, this is why, again. this is why Lester, I, I brought up a couple minutes ago, my opinion that he's representing certain factions, yeah. presuming that they've, they've reached out to him. This is the thing, right? Especially his recent documentary. I think that he was too... I agree with a lot of the core concepts that he's pushing. I just personally think uh, his most recent one, he was far too black and white in terms of good versus good versus bad. Brandon, you wanted to jump yeah. in? I was just going to say, in light of all the new information about Stephen Greer, we're all still collectively going to be emailing him daily pictures of elephants' penises, right? We're all still going to... <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. thank you. I think that was the memo. I said I we don't just do we it don't have to Yeah, thank you. Okay. I have a large Sorry. elephant clarity. Uh, Bruce, so did you want to jump... It yeah, yeah I was going to say, I mean, obviously this harks back to as well to the divide between the sort of the Tom DeLong TTSA, um, right. Stephen Greer divide, where obviously, you know, they were, I guess, on friendly terms at one point. But obviously, you know, Greer has become representing this kind of, you know, the good ETs and that everything's good and that, you know, anything bad is the humans doing it. Whereas, you know, we have on the flip side kind of the Tom DeLong position that there's, there's this really evil aspect to much of the phenomena that you know and you can destroy ufos with love because they are so negative and like loads of stuff like so we have that what i would say is a really simplistic take on both sides that yeah. you know that the phenomena is just it's much more complicated and we're not going to be able to just divide it so easily mm -hmm. yeah. into the goods on one side the bad on the other so, whereas in reality it seems and again we can't even tell which ones of these things are shamanic phenomena and which ones are physical yeah. because the same things are appearing in both the same grays right. the same reptilian right, so yes yeah, so we can't even really separate them in, in between consciousness and physical and then on top of that you've got this as we i think les pointed out earlier, you've got you know sometimes reptilian are friendly to people sometimes mantis are, yes. you know and other yeah. times they're horrendous to people so that you can't even divide them by their species right and, right. and then on yep. top of that yes. you've got the fact that 
all of the phenomena is, is trickster stuff, right? They, they yep. can all lie to you. All of them can trick you. All of them can say the landing is next Tuesday. Let your friends know. And everyone knows <laughs> they go to the hill and there is no right. landing and your life is ruined, right? There's all different parties have been involved in that kind of phenomena. And this so brings, I just don't oh, think we ahead. have these simplistic positions yeah. that these people are arguing. They, they're not legitimate. But yeah, do you think this, that the, the trickster element to this is just a part of the artifact of the matrix here, part of the system? That I maybe think it's to grow us. I think it's well, just to grow up and understand that there isn't going to be a simplistic thing mm, where they're just going yeah, to not, not trust no one. They're telling us what the you know, Mulder would tell you, trust no one, that you, you build up your own confidence in yourself with this phenomena and to know how to sieve out what you think feels right and to like, pull it apart. Don't go along just because it's a higher being and it knows best that you will right. be screwed over by the universe. You do, And that's what they're teaching us, I think, is that, you know, all of them in some way are teaching you that, you know, grow up. It's the yeah. exact point I was making. Is this part of calibrating your compass? It's part of mm. knowing that there's nothing out there going to save you and that it's up to you and yourself. And discernment is what this phenomenon yeah, actually key. teaches us yeah. more than everything. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I think the uh, core to take away from that is that, um, and again, this is a little bit of extrapolation from my two points. I can't say for sure, but it seems like they have agendas of their own. They have their own things going on right. because they are of giving they are oh, capable of but hey, there you are <laughs> they are uh, able to give true information they are able to mm -hmm. there are these these instances if there weren't there wouldn't be the the field of the paranormal we would just dismiss the the entire thing as you know oh just crazy. voices in your head take a pill right. get rid of it but we we know that these there's these odd ones out where the the cases mm -hmm this voice is, is legit for some reason. Um, and oftentimes it's only for a little while. They rope you in, which is what I think has happened to Greer. I think he's been roped in. He's been given some legit things. And now he he's made these bold promises yeah. and he probably has to pay people to drop flares. Right. Well, because they all made feed on like loose or inner energy. I've heard this a lot. This term energy that, you know, we're the actual ones that, yeah, we're the actual powerful ones here. And the archons or whatever lizard type mm -hmm. people are running this place, the <laughs> ones that stand up in suits behind podiums and tell you how to live your life. You know, whenever you think about things like this, I had Matt Landman on the show, Frankenstein's director, and he was saying yeah. that he doesn't put himself in the shoes of a human being whenever he's trying to empathize or trying to put his mind yeah. in what these things are doing and this is a great observation mm -hmm. you know there's these thoughts of this archon soul trap type thing right. and before anybody dismisses those kind of things again this goes back to what you think reality is capable of being for you to really kind of wrap your mind around these things and maybe the fact that mm -hmm. religions are created in this either or dichotomy and this fear-based system and this trap of your soul and coming mm -hmm. back here you know the don't go to the light it yeah. recycles you back here right. maybe that's the trick is to break out of this 3d reality mm -hmm. to realize don't go to the light well it's like uh if we if when you go to a picnic walking up the hill to lay out the blanket you don't think of any of the ants that you're stepping on on the way these these other things if they're from elsewhere they could not perceive us of of like that we could be cows to them if you watch monkeys jump in a hole with a bucket on its head that you're like lol that's funny those monkeys are dumb but to those monkeys <laughs> that was the best attempt at scuba diving in monkey kind you know, so like aliens uh, yeah. observing us blow shit up is like what I think oh that's a, a a really important point is yeah. that if this mm. if the source of this information is you know a physical being like a, a a giant mantis in a UFO somewhere off of Jupiter and it's sending this information to right. us psychically, but it's real as you and me, then 
that's definitely something that we should be afraid of that. (laughs) Why is it lying to us so much? Why is it manipulating people? Mm -hmm. Why, if that is the truth, if there is, if these are just bits of information that exist somehow and we're tapping into them in, in some unknown form, that's one thing. Maybe it's information from a different timeline, different, the speculation goes on forever. If these are actual beings using psychic impulses to manipulate us, that's what they're doing. They're manipulating us. It's definitely, uh, it's pretty impossible to spin that any way other than they're here to take something. Well, look, look, (laughs) if you think back, what I said earlier, it's about the, the network of the plants. And that, you know, we seem to be in a destabilized state. We should have something quite similar to that. And we see it. The plants show us it like allies. You know, they say, look, hey, you guys are meant to be networked like we are. Look, we can take show you a slice of what it's like when you take us. But it suggests to me that if there is something here parasitical, that it, when it arrived, it destabilized our network and it's kept us destabilized because our best defense against it is that cohesion. That if we have that cohesion, that parasite loses whatever it is it's getting from us. Because if we are all linked, it couldn't just hide away. It couldn't have a little group of people that it hides with, like, you know, a, a world controller elite or, a, you yeah. know, it wouldn't. Because we would all sense where the parasite, the Wendigo was, you know, in who. Right. And I think that that's why, if you look, the, the forces of that kind of the problems we have now, they're all to destabilize and fracture and keep us separate. Because if we ever undo that, I think it would lose immediately. It has to keep us in that state. Otherwise, the cohesion returns and we would throw it off like nothing. You know, and we can argue this, this energetic parasite has selected a handful of individuals over the course mm-hmm. of X amount of time to carry out this. Yeah. This, yeah. Um, yeah. Again, yeah. They are its host. They're its primary hosts. The right. others are the food. Yeah. So in the same way, as it looks like the ant that walks into the ant nest, you know, that looks like the other ants. And it destroys the hive. Yeah, I think it's important to be cautious of that parasite label because, again, even mm. in what I've previously said, I, it's, I'm painting it malicious. And again, we're putting mm. our human lens we on are. it. If when a when a toddler stops to play with an ant hill, he's playing. Yeah, he kills a couple hundred thousand ants if he, you know, he pisses <laughs> on it. But whatever, he's he's playing. You know, it's not necessarily a malicious. Right, it's un- energy it's unknowing. Him. Right, it's, it's, but then eating's are, not, it's not malicious to eat either, is it though? I right. mean, we don't right. begrudge the lion to eat the antelope, but the antelope doesn't like it. Like one of my friends says, you know, mm. what's normal for the spider definitely isn't normal for the fly. But all these things are natural things, right? So we can't say it's evil to want right. to say feed on some energy that you need, right? We can't try the evil. I think that's again the complexities of these topics. And it doesn't mean that all the things visiting us are evil, that they can be a parasite, they can be angels, they can be these friendly aliens. You know, all of those things can be real at once. But the dichotomy is what's necessary here to experience all that. So I completely agree. So the evil things or the evil looking things here, if we're all one, again, if you consider that the the umbrella in which we're viewing for this analogy, if we're all Mm -hmm. one experiencing itself subjectively, then the evil or the shittier parts of us are parts of us still but they're necessary parts of us because you got to know dark to know light you got to know hot to know cold we live in this dichotomy type of a universe to where these things must manifest and express themselves to where you can figure out where you lie on the spectrum in comparison to the others that's why there's no such thing as judgment or good good bad evil whatever it's just about what serves you and what doesn't if if not if not you wouldn't know how to define it yeah, it's contrast. If, contrast. Yeah, you've got to have the relative aspect and the relative perception of it, right? right? So the other the other way that I've heard this explained, I had a guy named Pat Mahan on from the Like Attracts Like podcast. I want to give him a plug because he's phenomenal. 
he came on and we were talking about this exact concept of white hats, black hats, good, bad, all those things, which just like Chas said, we're in the puzzle. So it's very hard to take ourselves out of it. But when you can shoot out objectively, as objectively as still being in the puzzle, can you can fathom, then what you realize is that at, using the analogy that Pat did of a play, that the good guy and the bad guy, the hero and the villain of this story that you just watched come out and they bow together at the end. Both are necessary for the experience to occur in the way that it must. And so this happens, though, on a micro and a macro level for us as well. You have to have these lizard fucks running around so that you can figure <laughs> out what's going on. And I think that what's happening with this spiritual awakening, say, call it whatever you want, but I think more people are coming into higher consciousness than ever. And I think that it was part of the other side of us really ramping things up and throwing fuel on the fire with this whole whatever the hell you want to think has been happening for the past 18 months. Um, it's kind of like a kick in the ass for us to get off of our asses. You know, it seems like the distraction tools of the real housewives of whatever and whatever uh, worked a little bit too well. And uh, we were just kind of wasting away. And this opportunity mm -hmm. came for us all to collectively go through this. And so the lizard fucks ramp it up and they're like, all right, it's the climax. Let's do this. We're ready to do this. And that may yeah. be one thing to explain this. Now, I just wanted to close on this, guys, and I've actually got to go. I've got an interview. But uh, to the uh, parasitic and, and that type of an idea, psilocybin cubensis. How many of you have ever heard the theory that it's an entity that came here as hijacked our consciousness, but it's the anti-answer to the evil shit that's trying to divide us or what Don Miguel referred to as domestication? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And so, because whenever you take mushrooms, what do you do? You want to take care of the environment, which yep. they grow in and thrive yeah, in. All you want to tell everybody about within. it. Yep. You see how connected we are. The data input is insane, so you're better suited for this environment. I, it's, it's like this beautiful, interconnected way that's, that's available to us if we want to look at it um, to kind of enhance this reality a little bit and to kind of act like, a, like an aid, like a cheat code, you know, for this matrix to kind of figure things out in a less uh, dire degree, you know, to see that we're all a little one. You know? I, I've got to leave guys myself. Uh, okay. I want to thank all of you. This has been absolutely stimulating. Andy, thank you so much for having me on here with you guys. And, and I, I would like to hook up with each one of you individually at some point. Uh, we can uh, have some more more interesting chats. I'd love to have That's you on. That's the best uh, part about time. doing yeah. these things. Yeah, let me absolutely. I'll go ahead and say this too, Andy. Give my email out to anybody who wants it. You guys just go for it. Please contact me. Yeah, yeah. if we Lester, could exchange, love to have you on the show. yeah. If we could e exchange emails, that would be fantastic, guys. And yes, uh, here, here's the the book that I just published. It's called right. The Unknown Other: The Existential Proposition of Alien Contact. <laughs> Lester, Dude, come on the show and talk about it. We'll do that. All right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'll be having these. Yeah, I, I definitely want to be doing this more with individual. You know, individually with all of you too, Lester. Brandon, thank you guys so much for having for coming on. And actually, guys, I'm probably going to wrap this up anyway. Sure. I just so, wanted to say super quickly: the live sure. stream chat on our end is 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 a buzz. They they love it. Oh it's, yes, and yeah, no, everybody oh, listening guys. and watching, thank you so much for participating with us in this. And uh, perhaps uh, we'll uh, we'll do this again soon or something. You know? Andy, this was awesome, anyway. man. Way to go, love, by the way, Andy. Everybody. For putting Thanks, this together. Yeah, everybody give yourself a round of applause. I also want to give a special shout out to all the government agencies watching. <laughs> yes, <laughs> goodness, they all showed up. Thank it was great. You. I appreciate it. Come Bruce, for me. I know it's so much for being here. Come for thank me. You. <laughs> no, they need to wake too. I mean, they they need to listen more than anyone at the end of the day. They've got to come out of their psychosis <laughs> and rejoin this mycelium network. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Right. Take the mushrooms. That's what we all need, right? Just pass yeah. out mushrooms to everybody. Roll up a fat donkey's leg and let's do this thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> 
just and hey, remember, remember, Strofaria cubensis, right? What is it doing? It's holding the door open to what the brain already has the mm-hmm. capacity to do. Capacity to do so, yeah. I mean, it's definitely us at the center of this thing. I don't know how much of the center of this thing, but a huge portion of our experience is mm-hmm. clearly co-created by us or, or I don't know. It's, it's yeah. a beautiful thing. And I really, really appreciate all of you, all of you being here to, to help me do this. It was a blast. Yeah. Was Speaking awesome. of a beautiful thing, this was awesome. Thank you so much, guys. <laughs> yeah. And plug yeah. away. Great. Everybody, yeah, anyone great. want to plug before I cut it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, go, go, go. Yeah, yeah I got to yeah. bounce anyway. So uh, Brandon Thomas, Expanding mm-hmm. Reality. Uh, you can find it anywhere you can find podcasts, like on 48 different things. YouTube, the website. I uh, just got on Rockfin, so we're doing that now. Um, oh. There's a really cool uh, episode that I'm not going to put out to everybody else. So it's a premium thing. Go over to Rockfin. Check it out. It's an MK Ultra um, secret super soldier agent oh, cool. chick, yeah. Penny L.A. Shepard. She's got the craziest story. Uh, it's prison planet stuff. It's her brother was murdered, turned into shoes. There's all sorts of cool stuff. There. So uh, go check that out again. ExpandingRealityPodcast.com. Mm-hmm. Thank you again, guys, for this. Y'all are all Thank amazing. You. I'm huge Take fans care. of all. And Bruce, uh, thanks again, Brandon. Thank you, Bruce. Could thanks you tell much. everyone uh, where to find you? Because there's some people in the in the chat sure. as well asking. Yeah, yeah. yeah sure. No one. Um, yeah, I mean. <laughs> If they want to, they can follow me on Twitter, but they don't Whoa. have to. Oh, yeah. say they have to, too, by the way. I love daily news. Yeah, they <laughs> can if they want the, the trigger feed. And yeah, it's an exogenesis HH for hybrid humans. Um, someone actually thought it was for Heil Hitler. And I was like, what are you talking about? But yeah, it's, it's <laughs> Holy exogenesis HH. Oh, Jesus. Um, you know, there's always somebody. And yeah, yeah also um, on Amazon, obviously the books are there. Don't like Amazon. So you can contact me. I can try and get your copy or go to a bookshop, any bookstore. And I just ask for them. There's so obviously there's Exogenesis, um, Hybrid Humans. Also, there's um, The Forgotten Exodus, which is my earlier book with a forward from Graham Hancock. Exogenesis got forward from Eric Mondanikan. So both really cool. Um, and BruceRFenton.com. I haven't got a lot on there, but they can you know find some basic details about me on there facebook i'm still on there for now who knows how long for before i get chucked off facebook and twitter but i'm there for now all right great bruce thank you so much for coming in again yeah Chaz, tell everybody as well where they can find you you guys can find me at Chaz of the dead on i think every all the social medias twitter and instagram is where i'm at the most uh chaz of the dead.com i also have a book out paranormal expeditions hunt for the friendship right um it's about ufos and psychedelics so if you like this there conversation uh check it out um you can hit me up i'll send you one if you don't like amazon as well uh i get that um yeah you can find me writing magazines and i'm around doing podcasts and stuff so check it out right. awesome awesome thank you guys so much bruce it's always great to catch thank up you. with you too yeah I'm and um we'll uh we'll catch up again soon gentlemen dave camden obviously will stick around for a little bit to you know figure out the ending of this but uh yeah, okay. yeah. thank you guys so much thanks very great. much i'll head off yeah. and um yeah right. speak to you again very soon real all soon, right yeah. Chaz, care, i'll be seeing you for the psychedelic round table too awesome <laughs> it was a pleasure talking to you guys hell yeah peace Chaz. guys that was fucking awesome thanks for listening to this episode of the deep share podcast if you want to hear more then hit that subscribe button Follow me on all the social places, and remember, think for yourself, but don't always believe what you think. Till next time. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, that's Enough, I get the point. You have meddled with the primal forces of me.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.